0: This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Welcome to another edition to In Class with Dr. Gray Carr. He's Dr. Gray Carr. I'm Karen Hunter. We're here. We're live. Uh, I guess today is fitting, (laughs) the way it starts.
1: I'm looking for this, where this this line of light is coming on my side. I got all these lights on in here, so I don't know. All
0: right, and I apologize, because I just... I got caught, I got caught reading today. I that's got the, reading and then I looked up and I was like, so oh,
1: all right, because
0: I just- Wait, why is this coming out twice? Hold on, I got caught reading today. I got caught reading and then I looked up and I was like, so oh, all right, that's right that's that's hold day. on, hold on. on, let me, oh, I see what happened. One second, one
1: second. You just have to pause for a minute. Everything. today is pause, right? Yeah.
0: All right, here we go.
1: No question. All it takes
0: just a pause. And this is what we're doing today. I think this is so fitting. Um, yeah, I got court I reading, um, Water Dancer and I, I couldn't stop And then I was like, oh, shoot, it's 1155.
1: <laughs> Our brother put a lot of work into that. People think now, especially now with writing that, um, you know, and you know this better than probably all of us as a journalist who understand more important that the edit and the rewrite is in many ways more important than the write. People think they can just put blog posts out there and just start tweeting and posting and it's done. No, that's that's the beginning of the writing process. So as much effort as he put in that, I'm sure that's why he got caught up. He probably he thought about every one of them words a million times.
0: <laughs> mendacity is the way I just kept I, I was <laughs> ruminating on mendacity. He used that word so powerfully. And I'm just sitting there and he keeps talking about the fuse, the fuse that sets off love, that sets off the desire to be free. And once it's lit, you can't, I don't know what, whether you can snuff out dynamite once you start, you know, the fuse getting lit, you know, at some point. So,
1: You know, it's interesting that you, you, you say that in the context of where we are today, of course, but also in the context of the water dancer. When we went to, um, to Kemet, to Egypt last uh, year, before, well, no, last year, 19. The Water Dancer um, had, well, was it two years ago? No, no, it was last year, it hadn't been released. Well, I got, I found an advanced copy at the Strand uh, on the way, because typically what I'll do is when I leave DC, when we go to Kemet, I take only a handful of books and a handful of clothes and two empty suitcases so that I can get all the books that I missed in the years since we've been to Aswan and Cairo and, and Luxor and go to the bookstores, my, my, my Nubians out there in the market and get the books. So I don't take a lot of books overseas. Uh, but I stopped usually before I go to JFK and pick up whatever I, you know, my, I, I save space for a couple of books that are new that I'm going to take with me. And I was at the strand and I got found an advanced copy of the water Dancer. Um, and interestingly enough, I see the strand is crying broke. And I'm like, wow, if the strand is crying broke, <laughs> support these black bookstores. And of course we know people are doing it here, but um anyway, so I found a kind of so oh, great. This is great. I won't ship this back to DC. I'll put this in my suitcase. And so I started reading it going over. And so I'm sitting by the Nile at night reading or early in the morning, at sunrise before the students come, we got to get rolling. And, you know, thinking about that novel and thinking about the research that went into it and the trajectory of that brother, uh nehisi Coates, and I guess we'll be talking about him again as we take our pause talk about comic books today among other things. In fact, that I got a few of his Black Panthers stacked up around here. But, um, uh, you know, thinking about it in this context of where we are right now with this, this election coming up Tuesday, ending Tuesday, or ending whenever, but you know, what freedom looks like has a lot to do with our immediate circumstances. And freedom isn't a, only a destination. Freedom is a struggle. Freedom is a process. In fact, as a book, I think Francisco Poletti, I think is the author of it. I'd have to go look for it. It's called Freedom is a Constant Meeting, where, you know, the author is looking at how they built community and local power in the process of the civil rights movement in Mississippi, or what we call the black freedom movement in the 1960s in Mississippi, she's focusing on in particular, uh, he's focusing on in particular an Italian scholar. And, you know, we think about this when we think about voting I think too often voting is seen as uh, an end in itself or a destination. It is only one weapon in a constant struggle. So when Tanahasi is writing in the the water dancer about these Africans trying to figure their way to freedom, even if that freedom simply means to be able to possess one's own mind in the middle of an absurd circumstance, and how other people will seize on that for their own uses, sometimes good, sometimes bad. The thing that we must always remember is that our struggle, our collective struggle, part of the liberating effect of that struggle is to participate in that uh, effort in the moment. That's why we see these black people dancing in lines in Philly and dancing in Detroit. And people are saying, oh, look at these Negroes, they're being tricked into dancing. You really gonna try to steal the joy of African people who have determined that this is a weapon in this particular moment that we will use to protect our interests? Because they're not dupes. They are they are simply saying, This is in my interest right now. In fact, it's even in yours. If you could, you know, scrub that little five words you read out of a sentence, out of a paragraph, out of a book that you copied from somebody the other day. No. Stay here with us. This is the moment. And in this moment, this is our moment of saying, in this moment, we choose to do what's in our interest. And ta see every page of that book, you feel that jumping out of the page. I'm yeah. not going to die. <laughs> you
0: know? And, and let's, pa- let's pause there, because being with you takes me back to being three years old in nursery school. Hmm. We had a dance contest. And I remember I had a dance partner and I stayed up all night practicing the funky chicken. <laughs> I had the routine, Dr. Carr, in my head, what we were gonna do to win. I was yes. three. I remember it like it was yesterday. My God. We get, they call us, me and this little boy, and we get out there, and he does his own thing. But his dance was so amazing that I could just keep up with him, and we ended up winning, not wow. doing my funky chicken, not doing my plan, dancing with you is that. I come in every week with this kind of thought, you know, today I was going to talk about the pause because I don't want to talk about the election. I'm tired. I don't want to talk about Trump, I'm tired. I'm tired. I don't want to talk about Biden. I don't want to talk about Kamala. I want to talk about you. I want to to take a pause and just kind of go off into a space that I know you love. Yeah. And kind of as a blueprint for all of us because, you know, we we get so erudite and heady in this pursuit of knowledge and power that we forget the child in us and yes. so people are raising children and the joy that you just talked about when you see us and i don't care if you're 99 with a cane when some line music comes on you dropping that cane you getting in line and you, and <laughs> How you about that and you yes. and it's just who we are we're not minstrels they may mock us but that's the thing that keeps us free even in the midst of bondage and that's what the message is, you know, your freedom is up to you no matter what your condition is. Every day you have to pursue it. And that's why, you know, I got kind of hemmed up cuz I was just ruminating on that. But when I come into this space with you, it's like that dance contest that I'm going to win, but maybe not doing a funky chicken. Well, I'm going not- to We know
1: we know we know the charts. Yeah, I ain't going I ain't going to go off. Look, one thing for sure, I dance and not going to do my own thing. The only way we do it is together. That's the only way we do it. So that that morning when he showed up and did that thing, he said, well, I could keep up. Well, how could you keep up? I could keep up because I know how to dance. In fact, Robert Ferris Thompson calls it, uh, he says that's one of those things he saw wherever he went in the African world, on the continent, throughout the United States and Latin America, the Caribbean. He says it's called, uh, he calls it, um, well, two things. One, correct entry and exit. He says, whenever you see these African people, even when they look like they're doing their own thing, that thing is so synced with everyone else that even the solo is part of the collective. Why? Because the people who are around it can watch it, listen, can observe and sync their movement. That's what people love about our improvisations, jazz, hip hop, double Dutch, you name it. You can do your own thing, but it can't be so far out there that the rest of us can't seize on it, see where it's going and kind of move in and get our rhythm. And the other thing is he says, he calls it, uh, he borrows a, a German word, effevism. He said, this is the stronger power that comes from youth so that the elders, we see it out there. In fact, I have a very good friend whose parents are in Raleigh. And she called him and said, you know, wait, Pop, y'all going to stand in line? He said, yeah, we're going to stand in line. He said, but the line may be long, so don't worry about that. And so when we see elders, we understand that when that music comes on, you don't have to get off your cane. You don't have to get off your wheelchair. What Robert Ferris Thompson says is when you see an elder dance, sometimes they don't move nothing but their finger. So as the electric slide going, they're doing it like this. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody like, whoa. In other words, you know, we show, and, and when I went, early voting started in Maryland Monday. Uh, I'm right across the DC state line, right up George Avenue. So I go. I encounter an election judge. Young sister. I said, how old are you? She said, 20 years old. I said, I see you. Young Latina sister. And I checked in, whatever. And now I'm moving through the line my mask on. I'm going to use electronic, but I got the ballot thing going right. Some people going to vote by hand. And then when I got to the front, there was a line of chairs. And this line of chairs were people who couldn't stand in the line, who had gotten their ballot. And then the, the election judges were like, Every time a person would come who had to sit in the chair, the electing judge would tell somebody in the line, you see that lady right there? Okay, when you get in front, you let her stand up and get in front of you. And I'm in this huge auditorium, a converted rec center library up Georgia Avenue. And what I'm watching is probably maybe at the peak when I was there, a couple hundred people between the judges, the people who are voting, everybody's there. And majority non-white, Asian, Latinx, Latino, Afro-Latino, uh, Guatemalan, Honduran, because I'm listening to people talking like African people, some of them clearly immigrants from other parts of the African world, Africa, the Caribbean, myself, son of someone who came through enslaved, which I got my Paul ropes and on repping today. Again, we, we're gonna tie all this in. And I'm saying, see, this is the this is the society that the white nationalists are terrified of. And it's not coming anymore it's here. You understand? (laughs) And so because it's here, and when when you see a society like this, ain't nobody shouting, ain't nobody screaming. I'm sure some people in that line gonna vote for Trump. But today is not the day you're gonna show out. (laughs) (laughs) Because see all these human beings, these are human beings. And you might be a human being too if you let set aside your hate. But in this moment right here, these elders who can't walk, they good. They're placing a line, secured by the rest of us. So there's correct entry and exit. There's epitaphism. And all of it moves toward a society that we haven't quite achieved yet, except in that moment that we were all in that room. That's what the society we want to live in looks like. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, yeah it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a beautiful thing, you know, or not. We might just have to knock if we buck. But guess what? You're not going to win. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: And speaking of that, I spent last weekend, cause I'm I'm studying, studying genres and I'm studying television and movies cause I want to get back into writing. And I watched this te- television series called Queen's Gambit. The Queen's Gambit, it's on Netflix. Do you play- Ch- The
1: first episode, it looks fascinating. How is it?
0: It's amazing. So I'm not going to give away anything, but she is a prodigy. She's a genius, a chess genius, little girl. Um, I won't give you all the details about her life, but. At some point she has to play the Russians. And the question is like, why can't we beat the Russians? Mm. And the answer is because the Russians, they work together like that dance we were talking about where I may not know all your steps, but I'm I'm here and we're gonna work together to win. So the master, the grand is only the grand master because there's so many other grandmasters helping that one person, they'll pause this is where the pause comes in. And shout out to Jackat Timmons, who does a podcast uh, on, my, on my hub network. And this week, her, her podcast was about the importance of taking a pause, even in conversation, just taking a breath. They will pause in the midst of a match. If it's getting tight, set the clock, put their movements, and then go convene and talk about what the next move should be. She was operating as a solo op- you know, person because she was a genius. And somebody said to her, in order to win, you need a team. You need what they have. And I just thought about it in reference to this family that we've created here during this in this space, during this time. And what you just said is codified everything that I already know, that we need all hands on
1: deck. Yes, and working together. And what you said, working together and working in concert and conferring, you know, hand Karen. Again, thank you and everybody who's joining every week. I'm glad folks are subscribing. I see the numbers going up and, you know, it's it's a very important moment what we have here. Uh-oh, it's like some energy. Does like sound like, look like the electricity tried to go off, but I'm on the phone, so it should be okay. Uh, the um, the crowdsourcing we're doing, I'm going to use a word that isn't quite fit, but we know that word now. This only, in, it isn't, this isn't an enhancement. It's increasingly going to be the way that we uh, we do education. You know, I was with uh, a lot of my colleagues, uh, Hampton, Howard, and Morgan State have a collective on developing new teachers, new, new professors coming into the professorate. And we had a meeting, um, Dr. Kamala, um, Dr. Williams, Stanley Williams, the folks at the graduate school at Howard, and they asked me to come talk about how to motivate students. And so, you know, I talked for, you know, 20, 30 minutes and then we had conversations hours. So we, we talked about it. And, you know, I'm asking about education in the future. And we're having these conversations and, and a couple of uh, brothers and sisters from Hampton really chimed in on uh, the kind of, you know, the, the the fears some of our young people are expressing. And we had a long conversation about that. The anxieties about paying all this money and tuition. And, and we talked about how we're exploding our classrooms. And I'm and I talked a little bit about, about what we're doing. And I said, you know, it's important for us to understand that one of the roles of teachers is to inspire folks to teach themselves. And when we're in the example you gave, you know, with Queen's Gamut, you know, the West often has this notion of the lone gun, but there's rarely a lone gun. There's always institutions at play. And how do you, you individuals don't defeat institutions and collectives are not defeated by individuals, no matter how brilliant they are. And so in, in the conversation yesterday and, and thinking about today and then coming into our space today, realizing we're going live again, you know, it is the collective that is really growing this space so that whenever this passes, and we may, we may never not go with masks when we go outside, again, in our lifetimes, but that's not really the issue. What this moment has shown us is that we can be together and we can learn and move collectively. And these are the first, as you always say, these are the first baby steps. I was listening this morning to um WPFW, one of Pacifica Networks here, my man Lance Reynolds, who's a DJ, who talks every Saturday morning with one of the great legends of the, the Black Freedom Struggle, Dory Ladner, one of our jegnas one of our great elders. And she's always on there. And they're in the middle of a fundraising Drake, you know, drive, because Pacifica, of course, doesn't take commercial money. And and so the, you know they raise their money a little bit at a time and so lance you know lance is like on he's talking to miss dory and he says oh miss dory we're going to use your birthday for a fundraising uh thing so everybody y'all cash out for us and fifty-two cent, or better yet y'all, because it's 1942 right birthday and then she said, oh better yet put five on it y'all put the cash and he gives the cash y'all yeah, thing and all this money starts coming in and because that and i'm thinking to myself this is how carter g woodson did it but he didn't have the technology this is how Karen Hunter is doing it with the technology. In other words, when you put five on it or you, you participate in any way, what you're really doing is joining a collective and we're building an institution. And so, you know, this isn't a time when you're worried about tuition. This isn't a time when you're worried about how you're going to pay for the dorm. How you, are, are we opening back up? I mean, no, no, we're open every time we're together. And in between the time we're together, we're studying, we're talking. supporting other institutions bookstores black bookstores and so you know if you're listening to this right now if you're in line voting i found out uh again i was talking we were on a reparations conversation thursday night uh the folks uh sister jam abunur and some of the folks who are putting together this question on reparations and and the topic was reparations on the ballot ron daniels a bunch of other people were on the call. A couple of the lawyers for the National Coalition of Blacks for Reparations in America, uh, Ajit Toro, and Ajitoro, And I was talking to Nkechi Taifa, who was on, you know, who just did her book, Black Black Power, Black Lawyer, one of the most important Black lawyers, really, of the 20, 21st century. And Kichi is like, I go on my walks in the morning on Saturdays, and y'all are my soundtrack, you my podcast. And I said, really, Kichi, She said, yeah. And I said, so if you're in line, waiting to vote, listening to us, or if you've already voted and this is your pause, or if you are on the fence, which I guess there are some folks on the fence. In fact, uh, one of your regular listeners, Karen, uh, Dr. Burnett Gallman out of uh, South Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina, his daughter and her friends have put together a website called votersonthefence.org. And so if you're on the fence and you've been, you should listen to us, take your pause, and then get out there Tuesday, because I think uh, Saturday you can go in North Carolina. But if you haven't voted early and you're registered and able to vote and you thinking about Tuesday, then this is a moment for us to remember that voting may be an individual act, but it's for a collective purpose when it comes to black people. And so if you're on the fence. Oh, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty good, though. Actually, I'm glad that happened. That was probably one of or probably all actually, of uh, Stephen Miller's ancestors. And that's just about as powerful as they are. Just enough <laughs> triple cohort But because uh, all of our ancestors on the other side, like, wait, now see, we look away for five minutes and here come all these. Because del- if you've been following in the news, of course, the rest of you, I know Karen leader Stephen Miller has uh, in a bit of overconfidence talking on the White Nationalist News Network, also known as Fox, previewed uh, a couple of days ago what they plan to do in a second term, which is uh, attack citizenship. He even said that you know people who are applying to come here, we are going to start asking questions as to their ideological uh, beliefs because to determine whether or not they're susceptible to persuasion. see see what what happened in Nazi Germany isn't coming. It's already in fact, the Nazis came here. if you read the book of Hitler's American model, uh, they they based what they were doing there on what we were doing or what the United States was doing here. So Miller has already previewed it. If you're also paying attention, you probably saw that there were some, there have been some deportations take place in the last month. Uh, folks sent back, sent to Haiti, folks sent to, uh, to Africa who had applied for asylum, just being rejected. And so, you know, they, you know, this perhaps is a little bit of a show of overconfidence from the white nationalist party. But people who think elections don't matter, they're lining up. And so uh, if you're listening to this on the fence, if you've already voted, if you're in line right now, know that you're part of this collective. And, and, I, and I'll end with this for now, in terms of this, this conversation, because there's so many things we want to talk about in this question of pausing, right? And uh, the, 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 uh, of course, in music, a pause is uh, a place where there's a rest between notes, between sound. So it isn't over, it's just a moment of respite. It's a moment of rest. In fact, it often enhances what came before and what came after. So in this pause, you know, the reason I I put on my Paul Robeson today is he goes, I don't call myself a slave in Robeson didn't either. So when he says here, my father was a slave, this is from the testimony that Paul Robeson gave before the House Un-American Activities Committee. Uh, And if you know anything about the House Activities Committee, rest of you you know, Karen already knows this, you know, obviously. But many many of us, as you know, uh, that was the committee that was staffed, uh, the staff supported, um, McCarthy, um, Senator McCarthy, who uh, attacked people, are you member the Communist Party and Azina scared the hell out of people. Had Jackie Robinson come and try to have him testify against Paul Robeson, trying to you know they, they took Paul Rose's passport, W. B. Du Bois's passport, Shirley Graham Du Bois's wife, Essie Robeson. They're gonna stop them from traveling. Um, and one of the staffers, of course, in fact, one of the key staffers for McCarthy was a dude named Roy Cohn, and so you all know Roy Cohn was Donald Trump's mentor. You know, he's also on the other side, probably ganged up with Stephen Miller's ancestors and that's all he could do was stop this and turn his phone over for a second. Very weak ancestors. But at any rate, uh, this question of whether or not you an American or not, Paul Robeson was like, look, my father was a slave and I'm going to stay here and I'm going to have a piece of this country and none of you fascist minded people are going to drive me away. Am I clear? Now does that mean Paul Robeson was a flag waver? No. It does not. Even Jack Robinson, who was brought in to say, you know, I don't know if Robeson should be talking like that. Even Jack Robinson wrote in his autobiography, published after he passed, that he didn't salute the flag. Jack Robinson was a veteran who had been court-martialed when he was in the Army because he wouldn't put up with segregation. But Jack, Jack Robinson said, I don't salute the flag from birth in, in Georgia in 1919 and now. I never had it made. So, so, But it wasn't that Robeson was that, you know, flag waver. What Robeson is saying, and in fact, in in the title of the biography that his wife, Eslanda, one of the books she wrote, and she wrote several books, was Paul Robeson Negro. And she talks about them, the Robesons, being citizens of the world. There's a mountain name for Paul Robeson in Russia. You know, Paul Robeson traveled all over the world, learned all these languages to discuss, uh, to sing people's songs. But what Robeson was saying was, you know, my people, and it's not one of those, we built this country and we fought the Indians. Nah, no. No, the blood sacrifice our ancestors made to simply survive means that whatever this fight is going to be. Was paid for before we ever came out of the room, and it isn't a fight for American democracy. It's a fight for survival and a fight to thrive as human in the world and no fascists are going to stop us when after next week, when the sun rises, we have to figure out, okay, what's next? Because voting ain't the yellow tape. We're not running through a finish line. That's just a, a, a strategy on the way to the next thing. So that's why that's why I wore my Paul Robeson. And the other reason I wore it, I thought about it, you know, because we're going to talk a little bit about pausing and think about things that bring people joy. And, um, you know, oh, there is one other thing, but I'll mention this in a minute because I I'm miss Robeson. This just came out. This is a graphic biography of Paul Robeson. Uh, very interesting. The art and text is by Sharon Rudall. And it was edited by Paul Buell and Lawrence Ware. Paul Buell is one of the biographers. In fact, he did biographies of CLR James, but he also did a lot of work, but did a lot of work on James, did a graphic novel on James too. But we're going to talk a little about comic books later on, or you know, intermittently. And, you know, when we think about young people in particular, you know, who might not be encouraged in today's climate to sit and read a book with no pages, although we should always encourage people, young people watching this. No pictures. No pictures. I'm sorry. Thank you. No No pictures. Right. This is right. No pictures. The graphic novel is a nice point of entry. And, and, and one of the reasons I like these types of graphic novels is because they come with a nice little bibliography and then an essay at the end. And, you know, it's pretty well done. It's pretty well done. You know, it's got Paul Robeson in there with, you know, singing Old Man River. Of course, people always know that one, right? Old Man River just keeps moving, moving along. This isn't even the first one, but it's a nice little graphic bio- biography of Robeson. but I can I thought I saw you. Um, I guess it was this morning. Uh, tweeted something about Sean Connery. He made transition.
0: Yeah, ninety. What did you
1: think about Sean Connery. <laughs> <laughs> I saw what you said.
0: Yeah, he was the 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 baddest Bond. You know, I hated all the rest of them. Did you? Uh, yeah, I, yeah. Pierce Brosnan, Roger Moore. Yeah, no. <laughs> something about them. Sean Connery had swag. Um, and then somebody came on my timeline and was like, well, he was a Brexit person and he was horrible. I was like, that's not what I know and that may all be true. But, you know, Sean Connery always seemed to be... And, and oh, speaking of chess, he he played in this film where he was teaching a young brother how to play chess. And, you know, he just always seemed very affable to me. I like I like him in his style. And there was something about the Scottish brogue and I don't know. Was
1: that uh, it? Wasn't Finding Forrester?
0: Yeah, I think it was Finding Forrester.
1: Where, 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 where the kid went to the rich school and he was the uh, graduate, but he was a recluse. He was living in the same apartment building. Yes, that's right. You know, it's interesting, Connery, because I think I probably feel felt about him and feel about him the same way you did and do in turn, because we grew up in that era. You know, it was a you know I never saw a James Bond movie. In the theater with Sean Connery, because we were too young, and so we had to wait for it to come on TV, <laughs> you know. And it was many years later, when, uh, you know, as an adult, then watch these other Sean Connery, uh, other James Bonds. It was later to, you know, start digging around in the history of Ian Fleming and looking at the role of James Bond that I understood that the Bond movies really uh, were an extension and metaphor of World War II, British and American imperialism. Right, the tensions between the American agents and and Bond, and then you know how they and it seemed like every time they had a villain, it was either Asian, or an African. Like the first Roger Moore film, Live and Let Die, that's probably of the Bond films as far as I'm concerned. I always tell the students when we when we start thinking about these things. You know, that's probably the most racist of the Bond films. And they, and they, ha- and they had some competition. Remember, *Living Let Die had Yafit Koto. He was the drug lord in Harlem. Yes. And also the voodoo guy. And James Moore was the voodoo queen with the tarot cards. And I'm like, this is pure, great racism. But as children, we rooting for Bond, right? And, and I want to say it was the, was it the first? No. Where, which was the one where uh, he went in the hotel room and the sister with the Afro was the agent from America. Um, I don't know if it was from Russia with Love or Dr. No, but it might've been Dr. No, that was the first one. But anyway, I, I raised it because, you know, I did see that he had made transition. And of course he was born in the slums of Edinburgh. He was he was working poor, actually he was poor poor. And he was a Scottish nationalist till he died. So in terms of Brexit, people saw he's for Brexit. Do you understand that, yes, He was a subject of the British crown, but he was part of the crew that wanted Scottish independence from Great Britain. Because if you know the history of Scotland, Scotland and Ireland and Wales, in other words, what they call Great Britain, you understand England is the colonizer. And, you know. They didn't need any black people to start practicing colonization. When you read in Googie Wathiango's something torn and new or any of the history of England, you know that Ireland was the colony that they tried. That's why people fall in love with uh what's it? Uh James Joyce, Ulysses, right? It's written in Erin, it's written in the Irish because the Irish did not want to be colonized by the English any more than the Scots or anybody. And so Sean Connery was a lifelong Scottish independent dude. He, in fact, he gave money every year to the Scottish independent cause. In fact, when they had him up for being uh, I guess Sir Sean Connery, you know, his buddy Sir Michael Caine, and all them guy remember after he left Bond because he quit playing James Bond in part because he's tired of being a stereo cat, a tight cat. So he won't play Bond no more. That's why they had to go get Roger Moore for Live and Let it Die because Connery was like, I'm out, I don't want to play no more. But they made his friend, uh Michael Caine. they knighted him, Sir Michael Kane or whatever. They were in that uh movie uh The Man Who Would Be King. But when Connery was up. There were british politicians that said no because he's a scott he's a scott nationalist in other words. so of course he's for brexit why his brexit means okay we're gonna be independent we, we need to be independent but i still like to say that it's amazing how images influence us and it creates tensions that are sometimes unresolvable in other words you have on one hand black women who are objects of sexual desire and attraction because other thing about james bond they're hyper masculinist right so whether it be that sister in the early bond movies or whether you now come down and see the new money pennies and all these black women who are coming in and potentially that ain't throwing around with idris elba could be james bond they make james bond a black woman and then the new one coming out apparently there's a black woman who has also got the double o license to kill and so all this is you know because because you got to sell movie tickets and the world's increasingly non-white so you got to get these people in but that, so you you have that on one side and then you have on the other side the deep white nationalist message imperialist message of the british and the americans in the bond novels which lead to the bond movies and of course here are a handful of the bond novels dr no ian fleming <laughs> i mean you start i mean they got white women in there i mean oh my god in fact you open up ian fleming the first page, Ian Fleming, and you have, with a fiendish smile, Doctor No taunted his prize captives, the brilliant agent James Bond and the beautiful blonde, Honey Child. And Honey Child is spelled C H I L E, kind of mystical thing. Because the thing is, this is the one actually set in the Caribbean. There's the guy who, in fact, Ian Fleming, when he saw, Jane, uh Sean Connery, he was like, "This is not how I wrote him." But he was so moved by how Sean Connery played Bond that he eventually included him in some of his subsequent novels. And of course, from Russia with Love. Remember the little lady with the knife in her shoe? The Russians are the enemies. Goldfinger. Remember Odd Job? They trashed the Koreans. This is all racist stuff right here. Thunderball. You could go through all of Diamonds Are Forever. This is the one with uh pussy galore you remember talk about patriarchy the spy who loved me now you're gonna get into anyway i won't go through all of them we know we know we know the problem but the point is that
0: why do you have them
1: (laughs) why do you have all those books because because i'm supposed to understand oh yeah i should probably yeah i should pause and say this right just a reminder remember the first time we sat and talked when ajwa came brought me up and we were all sitting there talking when we built the curriculum in philadelphia for the high school course. And again, everybody's in this crowdsourcing, we're in this now, we're building this. We're taking our, our first steps to build up out of space where don't worry about how much the tuition costs, you can, you're not gonna bankrupt yourself. You, we, we, we're trying to inspire, as you always say Karen, breadcrumbs, people can teach themselves. When we built that curriculum, we knew that we could not replace all the textbooks because the textbooks cost, you know, that's big business. And I know one day we're going to spend maybe even multiple times talking about these textbooks. I've been stacking them. As, and just, as I come across some another one, I'll put them aside. So I know we can have this conversation about textbooks. So, but we knew that we couldn't replace all the materials because too much money involved. But we knew that we could get people, get these students to ask the right questions. Then together we would look for answers. We might not agree on the outcome, but we knew by asking the right questions, we would get better answers. So we remember we talked about this that first we had six questions we developed based on concepts. And the first question, first two questions we asked are who are Africans to other people and who are Africans to each other. So who are Africans to other people say, if we're involved in it, how are we being constructed by other people? So the reason I had these books is because for two reasons. Number one, if it's a book, I'm going to at least pick it up. If it's a book I think got something to do with us, I'm gonna try to figure out a way to own it. So that's the reason I had these books. These books are littered with non-white people and in that social structure category, who are these people to other people? Ian Fleming and then the James Bond movies in many ways rehearse and frame in terms of worldview, who is us and who is them. And by us, I don't mean just us. I mean who the British and the Americans thought they were and then they recruit us in to root against our own interests. The blacks are drug dealers and voodoo lords. <laughs> the Asians are hat-throwing wackos. The Russians are all against you no. Know, and who's going to save us? James Bond. But he's not one man. Where'd he get the license? He got the license from the British Intelligence Division. And he's in league with the CIA. And they don't agree all the time. Hell, they even let Jeffrey Wright Play the CIA agent now that uh, Daniel Craig is, is James Bond. What, what is that showing us? It's showing us that these institutions, we should be rooting for them against these other people who you've made non human. That's the social structure category. The governance question is not in these books, it's not in the movies. Who are Africans to each other? And, and, and so the reason I had these books is because it's my job. I'm a teacher. I'm supposed to have a text. We're supposed to have conversations like this. We're supposed to end them quickly. And then people are supposed to say, oh, you know what? I'm inspired now to teach myself. Let me go out and look at these. Now, does that mean you don't go to see James Bond movies? No. You should, you know, go do what you want. Do it for entertainment. Have a great time. I'm going to see the next one, because I'm going to see how they're going to play this sister in here, who I seen in the trailer is shooting from a distance, sniping, and I saw it's a young black woman. Just like they got a new black woman playing Batwoman. Just like uh, Lovecraft County. Uh, Lovecraft is black as hell. Just like Watchmen. All the comics are sitting right over. I can see them are black as hell. I'm gonna go, of course, but with the more knowledge I have, I understand that this is not going to shape my worldview in a way where I'm going to vote against my interests, organize against my interests, whereas somebody who might not know that might come out of that popular culture and move in their real life in in being shaped by the popular culture education should allow us to be able to distinguish between make believe and the real world and ultimately to create art that is better. So that's what I mean, you know, of course, you know, in fact, this ain't even all of them, this is the paperbacks. I got these because, you know, paperbacks are, they they did this series, but then they have a corresponding group of hardbacks and the rest of them are there, but I'm fascinated by Ian Fleming because Ian Fleming was a British imperialist and, you know, Britain lost its empire Uh, including what became the United States of America. And the tensions there are always interesting to me because while these things happen between European nation states, what doesn't happen is, or very rarely happens, is that any of those nation states break ranks with any of their brethren and join with some of the non-white world. (laughs) that, That you're not going to see. In fact, we should probably, oh, I hope I have it around here somewhere. I'm looking for Oh, well, I was looking for Ron Walters because you know, I was reading Ron Walters earlier today, and oh, I don't know what I did with it. That's unfortunate because,
0: yeah, and we- so, that pile is getting bigger and bigger. People are concerned for your safety. I just want
1: to, oh, no, 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 that's an optical illusion. See, what happens is, see, y'all see these books over here, these books come from when I'm looking for other books, and then I'll stack these books up here. But what you can't see is the all the rows, all the rows behind. And then over that way with all those books. So no, no, no. Don't even worry about that. No, ain't nothing collapsing. Ain't nothing moving. However, while you asked, the ancestors moved this. This is the book I was looking at the other day. Uh, This is an important book. And then I know we got we're gonna talk about comics. We got we got time to talk about that. We need to. This is a book, White Nationalism, black interest. This is another of Ron Walter's books, the great political scientist out of Wichita, Kansas. Um, Pan-African. It's very important. He dedicates the book to the Reverend Jesse Jackson, Sr. In fact, there's a new Jesse Jackson book. Do I have that over here? Oh, I don't know what I did with it. Maybe. Oh, yeah, here it is. Here it is. See, nothing collapsed. Ain't nothing going to collapse. The stuff is over here. just got to go quickly and go fairly efficiently. Yeah, this is uh, David Massacrotus' book, I Am Somebody why Jesse Jackson matters, which made me, which tickled me to no end. I got to get up for this Karen. Cause when I was, I was starting to read it the other day, I know y'all can't see me right now cause I had to stand up and reach across to another part of the reading desk I have here. It's a couple of other books. I started pulling together my Jesse pile after I started reading this book, Adolf Reed's uh, Jesse Jackson phenomenon, which is the first book to talk about the 84 campaign, which was very important. In fact, to tie to something we talked about last week, Adolph Reed Jr. is from Little Rock, Arkansas. His father, Adolph Reed Sr., one of the most brilliant political scientists of the 20th century, taught at black school, Southern University, University of Arkansas, Pine Bluff. Very important brother. Uh, Adolph Reed Sr. graduated from that Dunbar High School we were talking about last week. But at any rate, but this is the book. Do you know this sister, uh, Karen, Barbara Reynolds? I don't know her personally, but I'm you do know, yeah. She's yes. she's a member of the craft with you. Right?
0: Yes.
1: She, yes. I I knew her because I guess when I was in college, I guess she was writing for USA Today. That's where I first encountered her. Um, this is the first
0: how many pages is that book? Oh damn.
1: <laughs> she did, this book is 489 pages with the index. This is the first major biography of Jesse Jackson. Jesse Jackson, the man, the movement of myth, Barbara A. Reynolds. In fact there are passages in this book that Jesse and them did not like. And so they went after Bart Reynolds and they published another edition called Jesse Jackson, America's David. So those of you who had that book, this is the book that came before it, that Jesse didn't like. But the reason I bring any of them up, and there are a number of other Jesse books, these are just a couple that I had in, in arm's length. The, re- the reason I bring them up is because, you know, Ron Walters worked in those Jackson campaigns and he always organized for black political power. And when you're reading, I was reading something, uh, I guess it was Perry Bacon or Jamel Bowie were writing in the New York Times. In fact, I think it may have been Jamel Bowie. No, it was Perry Bacon. Perry Bacon was talking about these seven different categories of black uh, political leadership. He said, this is not based on data surveys, it's based on my reporting, listening to people, talking to many of these people, talking to other people. And he says it's like seven categories. And I, and I won't be able to remember them all now. I don't know if, you, if you saw it, you might you chime in. But he says... um. He separates one of the categories out for the hard right. So the Ben Carsons, the Tim Scotts, and all the rest of them, the Danny Camerons, shout out to that uh, profile and Courage in Kentucky. And so (laughs) they have all these, you know, (laughs) have them. And then he talks about the Black political leaders who are over 60 years old, and he includes Jackson and them. But he says, the ones who are the old progressives, and he calls them a cautionary tale. He says because they should be a cautionary tale to the, another category, the young progressives. And he puts Ayanna Presley, of course Ilhan Omar, you know. And, you know, it's interesting because there's a sister running in Texas to to get to the national legislature, to the federal legislature, Congress, House of Representatives, who is uh, Afro-Latina. And they're saying, well, if she's elected, she'll be the first Afro-Latina. And I'm like, See, y'all define Afro-Latina differently. Even when people don't self-select as Afro-Latina, if you're Puerto Rican, you Afro-Latina. So I'm looking at AOC like, okay, she might say I'm from the Bronx, I mean, but, you know, you should press a little bit on that because the blood of Africa runs through everybody on the Isle of Puerto Rico just about. But anyway, that having been said since those young progressives, uh, Brother Bowman up there where you are, and you talked to him, of course, uh, he said that the old progressives should be a lesson to the young progressives that if they don't seize power, they will be ignored. So that AOC and Ayanna Presley and Ilhan Omar and a Biden Harris administration could be ignored the way that Jesse and them were ignored by Obama and Clinton. And I'm thinking, uh actually, that's okay. Well I'm not even gonna unpack this. I understand you're reading to people, you're, you're writing to people with a sixth grade uh reading level, and maybe you actually believe that yourself. But it, it, it's a fairly unnuanced read. But then he has another category. He says, here are the uh, kind of moderate to liberals who are over 60. And he puts into that category people like Jim Clyburn in them. And it's interesting to read, the, oh, I'm sorry, also in the over 60 uh, uh, super progressives, he has uh, Cornel West and all the rest of them, right? And so then he says, with the category of over 60 kind of liberal centrists, he's got John Lewis had, had John Lewis, of course, uh, James Clyburn and them, uh, um, uh, Sheila Jackson Lee, most of the congressional Black Caucus. He's saying these people are the descendants of that first and second wave of Black elected officials post Voting Rights Act 1965, who are now inside the Democratic Party saying, in order for us to leverage this power to advance our collective objectives, we've got we've to remain viable. But he's distinguishing them. From another group that includes Hassan Jeffries, Hakeem, rather, not Hassan, of course, Hassan's Ohio State, his brother, Hakeem Jeffries. And so he's saying these people who have often come out against some of the black progressives and sided with the Democratic Party over other insurgents in the Democratic Party like Charles Booker in Kentucky. And them, they are really trying to position themselves to advance leadership. Now, I went through all that to say this if there's somebody on the fence, voters on the fence, if there are black people who are saying the parties are the same, now, let's just pause here for 10 seconds and say this. If you're saying the parties are the same, well, two things, probably you're not watching this, and number two, you just can't let it go. Because that, that's just flat foot wrong. <laughs> but anyway, now, let's resume the, the uh, content-based part of our conversation. So, what we're, what we're seeing is that If you're still on the fence, understand that if the Democratic Party wins the presidency next week or next or the end of the month, whenever they, you know, because that's nothing I want to mention is the Supreme Court. Because the White National Party now, let me just drop this footnote very quick. The White National Party now has pulled out all the stops. All the pretenses have been dropped. We went through the court's decisions or the court's uh, the court's not even opinions. They're not opinions. They're shadow opinions. Yes, shadow opinion. The Supreme Court means we're going to vote and take a vote, and then we're just going to say what it is in terms of either denying an injunction or upholding an injunction from a, a or a stay from a lower court, a lower federal court. We're going to just say what what our ruling is, but we won't write why. Now, if any of the justices want to write why or why they dissent from the vote, they can do that. So over the last week, we've seen it happen in North Carolina. We've seen it happen in uh, Wisconsin. We've seen it happen in Pennsylvania. And so you, it, we went through those decisions uh, Wednesday night with my class at the law school. And it's one of the reasons I really value the time I get to spend teaching at, at Howard Law School because I get some of the most brilliant students in the world. And these are uh, Black students almost always. I, mean, I have, Sometimes I have a couple of students who are not Black, and that also enhances it as well people think HBCUs are all black. No, they're the most diverse universities actually in the country and some of the most diverse in the world because the Africans come from everywhere and the non-Africans come from everywhere. So I mean, it's really quite something to see Africans from the continent talking about SARS and police violence in Nigeria Discussing the parallels and the differences with and between police violence in the United States and then you get somebody else say, Well, I'm Nigerian, too, but I'm second generation here and I was born in Texas And so I see it a little different from you and then to have somebody jump in and say well I'm from Jamaica. Let me tell you about how we're dealing with police violence And then a Haitian comes in and says we've been in the street for six months So and then the whole thing and then we're feeling all of that into reading this white nationalism and the one thing we all agree on Is that these white nationalists? are against us. All of us. So we go through the rulings or go through the the writings, the opinions, the, the, the defenses. And you see Samuel Alito saying that the Supreme Court should intervene in state constitutional matters when a state Supreme Court has ruled on the state constitution because the federal constitution, when it says legislative in other words, uh, elections should be a matter of the state legislature. That means only the elected legislature and not the courts. They Their move is to read the state Supreme Courts out of being able to interpret their own state constitutions. So all you conservatives who talk about, well, conservatives are for small government. OK, stop repeating what you heard in high school and look at the world as it is. It's white nationalism. Ron Walterson wrote a book on it. Stop listening to people on YouTube and not then going and studying for yourself. See, that's the, that's the distinction between our time together and everybody else. Time. We're going to tell you to go looking for yourself. <laughs> you understand? So, so what they're doing is, and I know you saw it, Karen, right? Pennsylvania, the courts rule, okay, you. if the thing is postmarked, if your ballot is postmarked, you mail in it's postmarked before. Uh, the 3rd of November and shout out to all you people in Florida trying to stop people, the mail people from being able to send the vote, get the votes out. We saw the videos, of all the votes stacked up, all the the, uh, the back mail, because when the dude from who runs the post office went out of the news a, a month and a half ago, that don't mean he stopped working. He just changed tactics. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I can't come up here talking. Let me just be quiet. Okay, okay, yeah, we'll put the machines back. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll put the ballot boxes back. then let me get out the news so we can continue to get this thing close enough to steal. But at any rate, Pennsylvania said if it's postmarked before the 3rd of November, you can count it for up to nine days. Uh, Supreme Court is like, uh, yeah, we can't really get at them because it's a state Supreme Court ruling and no federal court ruled on it. So what we're going to say is it's still a 4-4 tie. And Why is it a four-four tie? I thought you swore in the handmaid. Well, they swore the handmaid in, but what the court uh, PR people told the press was, uh, Comey Barrett did not have time to <laughs> brief and read. But when you read the opinion, the why, why they did it because they didn't they didn't write an opinion. But when you write the justices who decided they wanted to write, what you get in there, Alito says, you know what? This is not to say that if you come back to this court with a motion not to count those votes that come back come in after the 3rd even though they were postmarked before the 3rd this is not to say that we should not in fact we should review that so this is what mm-hmm. this is the move they did if on november the 3rd it looked like the the vote is going for trump the republican party controls the pennsylvania state legislature they're not going back to the courts if it looks like the vote is for Biden, they're going to go back to the court. And what this racist Alito then told them is, come on back. The handmaid's here now. We got a 6-3, and we're going to run a Boston on y'all. In other words, they are setting it up <laughs> to steal by deciding state by state if they're going to count the absentee, um, sorry, the mail-in vote ballots that come in, even though they're postmarked before the third, if they come in after the third. So. I went through all that, and I know we're going we're gonna to really get to the other stuff now. I mean, I went through all that to say this. When you read Ron Walters' book, and, and there, there's a shelf, I mean, there's a library of books. No, we got two and a third centuries of thinking about these things, of struggle and people who have spent time thinking about it. Ron Walters wrote this book in 2003, and what he does in this book, the last chapter, is the integrity of Black interest. In fact, let me just go to 249 and let him speak for itself. He says embedded in the white nationalist ideology is the goal of achieving as much quote-unquote freedom from government intervention as possible meaning you're not going to interfere with the interests of white nationalism he doesn't mean states rights he doesn't mean local government he means white nationalism so if it's white nationalism if local government helps that's what we're for if intervening in state constitutions mean that's what we're for he's in other words we're, we're, we're we're Advancing our interests. Second sentence, last sentence I'll read. For people of African descent, this has meant white nationalists are free to inflict considerable damage upon them through the unbridled use of their group's power. What does that mean? That means that are the Demo- don't think about this like it's a movie. This isn't black people. It's black people versus white nationalism, always. So stop thinking, when we instead, don't take out black people and put in Democrat. And don't take out white nationalism and put in Republican. No, it's black. See this? Black interests versus white nationalism. So if we go into the game and we say, okay, what side are we on? we always on black interest side. What's the game? The game is Republicans versus Democrats. Okay, well, I'm not playing. Hold on. You do realize that one of the things that's being decided is something that's going to affect you. Oh, well, you're well, she, somebody one of these teams I'm signing up with. Let me go sign up with the Democrat. See, you're a Democrat. No! Oh, did you? <laughs> what part of this don't you understand? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Now, I'm sure somebody can torch the comments. I'm sure my friends who like to stay up and make little videos and tip out little things that we talk about, Micah. Um, but let's they do? do they? Oh, yeah, you know, that. but it's okay because at the end of the day, we've got to always advance black interests. And what Ron Walters is saying at this is that white nationalism invades the American political system in order to advance its interests. And so it relies on those who are white, who believe that there's a system other than white nationalism. It relies on them. To politely kind of coddle white nationalism—that's Chuck Schumer, in them. In other words, well, you know, the institution of the Senate, dude, it ain't no institution. Why are you? Why you keep talking these people like y'all colleagues? These guys are playing. You understand? I know you want to be nice. I know that's why y'all have the rules where you can't talk about any other people. I know that's when one of us decides that we can't take it no more. You want to censor us. You want to chastise us. You No, nah, but that that both there ain't no institutions. There's white nationalism and there's those who oppose it. And what they've done now, and he goes through this in great detail in this book, what they've done now is invade this system enough so that what we've got to decide next week or in these you know days, I think now early voting has ended, as I said, in most places, but it's still a lot of places like I think today, maybe the last day in North Carolina. What we've got to decide is what action will be in our best short term interest. And then, you know, if the Democrats win uh, next week. Then whatever, you know, those those seven categories or those six categories, or those 15 categories, however you want to chop it up, that's when you're going to see the beef. Emerge. That's when you're going to see people come out and say, "Hey, Joe, public option. Let's move, bro. Let's go. Hey, green, green jobs. Let's go." And you're going to see some of the conservative people in the Democratic Party say, "Oh no, uh, uh-uh, no, uh, uh-uh. uh." And that's when you're going to see the thing. But let's what? Let's get to that because what you don't want to be at is Stephen Miller got ideology tests for your cousins and them trying to get here over in Nigeria and they stop him at JFK and say, "Let me ask you a question. I see your last name is Muhammad. Yes." All my papers are in order. Now, papers, you know, that was November the 2nd. This November the 10th. Oh my God. Ain't no papers. Now I know you all you Pan-African heroes that are talking about both parties are the same. I'm walking you through what's life as it is, not life as you've read it. I mean, because guess what? You know how they got rid of Marcus Garvey? Deported him on a federal charge that was bullshit, but they still put him out. So before you quote Garvey, go back and read the history of how they got rid of Marcus Garvey and use some nick Rose to help them do it who they were also against, A. Philip Randolph on the Garvey must go side. Garvey must go. Yeah, and and Jay Edgar Hoover called A. Philip Randolph the most dangerous nigger in America because he was a socialist and opened his mail and all this kind of stuff. Put his try to put his wife out of business in Chicago because they were fueling the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters and chambermaids through her beauty parlors. So what do they do? They send people out in Chicago, Negroes, to hand out flyers talking about that yeah, her husband is a communist. So you know, therefore, so 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 before y'all start wading out in the middle of arguments with T-shirt slogans, go back. And and I'm I'm, I'm being deliberately provocative here for a reason. We can't have now people running out in the street shouting stuff and confusing people who haven't either had the opportunity or taken the time to look at it a little closer. We have to have serious conversations now. Over half the vote from 2016, those people have already voted. Now the question is going to be uh, how are those votes counted for the people who have already voted? Those people who voted in person, their vote is going in. Those people who thinking, okay, it's Saturday. If I mail it today, it should get there by Tuesday. Uh uh-uh. uh, no, no more mail. You understand? Everybody listen. No more mail. If somebody would say, oh wait, really? no more mail, no, no more mail. Walk it in, but I don't have no way to get there. Make a phone call, because this is where the black bourgeoisie, uh, like myself, and and I put myself in the black bourgeoisie, not because of my bank account, but because I got four degrees and I remember Alpha Phi Alpha. And so I know the Negroes gonna put me in the bourgeoisie anyway, but guess what? If the old lady can't get to the polls, I'm supposed to call the National Pan-Hellenic because I'm gonna promise you right now, if the Alphas don't come get her, I know what the Deltas and the AKAs and the Zetas and Sigma Gamma Rho doing because they black women, they out here, they out here got pets lined up. Say, hey, did you vote? But <laughs> I don't know, uh, where's your master? You got a ballot? These black women is not bullshit, <laughs> you understand? So if you don't have a ride, <laughs> Look it up on the internet, somebody coming to get you. And that's not to say versus black men, I'm saying in tandem with black community. We trust these sisters to do it, but don't mail it, get it in. And then the lawyers are gonna fight because if it's close enough to steal in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, and watch this, it's coming up close now, Texas, Georgia. Cause them Negroes in Harris County, Texas where my mama is and my sister and brother-in-law and niece and nephew Them Negroes have already voted in, they voted more already in person, early voting than they, than, than the total number in 2016 in Harris County, because that, that white nationalist governor of Texas said, I'm going to bust out and say, you get one place to drop your ballot off. So guess what? They ain't even giving them the chance because in 2016, they flipped Harris County and elected all these black and brown Judges. Uh, elected officials. You know what I'm saying? I don't, have you talked to Karen? I don't know if you talked to any of them. I know there's a Latina sister who is the, the chief judge in Harris County. She's yeah. the not the uh, they,
0: ha- they elected 16 black judges. One of them passed away. I had yes. a few of them on the show, uh, on my radio show on Sirius XM. Amazing what, what happened in Harris County. I had a woman that was running for the Senate on the show, too. She didn't make it through the primary. But yeah, Harris County is, Texas is up for grabs. So is Florida.
1: It's up for grabs and so is Florida. Karen, that's so important, what you just said. I mean, are y'all listening? This is another reason. I tell you, and again, I keep saying this, but it's important that that it keep being said. We keep saying it. That's the reason I'm, one of the many reasons I'm very grateful for this space that, that you've created and that you're creating. This is the type of conversation, informed conversation, that is lifeblood to our people. So if you don't mind, I mean, you know, when you, and you talk to them, you know, how important is this engagement in the political process to advance our interests, which have nothing to do with the political apparatus we're using and everything to do with what's in our best interest? How important was it to put these officials in place in Harris County, in your mind?
0: I mean, you talk about judges all the time, you know, 16 black women judges right. in, a, in a state that still has cotton fields where they still send People in prison out to pick cotton? You tell me. That's it. And in Florida, where so many people were disenfranchised and then they tried to hit them with a pulp tax. How yes. important is it to have elected officials who are gonna say no? You don't, that's you can
1: vote. That's right. It's that's important. right. And you must vote. No, that no, that, that actually that's good, Karen, because that actually helps us understand as well where everybody plays their role in a collective. So Florida, for example, as you said. Got the ballot initiative through the Florida legislature, controlled by Republicans. Figures out a way to basically use the criminal conviction as a poll tax, because that's really what they're doing. Saying, "Well, no, 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 you may be out of jail, you on parole or on parole, but you have to now pay all the court-affiliated costs." Because some of these costs are, well, I don't have a job yet. I mean, no problem. Until you do that, you can't vote. Ah, but the people of Florida said, we don't give a damn what the people of Florida said. The white NASA's party, through gerrymander and everything else, controls the legislature. And so therefore, so then what? How much is the bill? Well, you owe $438. Okay, What about you? Now, guess what? Here is where somebody comes in and says, you know what? I'm not a federal judge. I didn't do the ballot initiative like the brother in Florida who says I'm going to recover my voting rights. So I have to form, you know, returning citizens. Uh, I'm not a lobbyist. You know, I'm a basketball player. But guess what? Y'all pay me a lot of money to play basketball. You know what? How much is the bill? I'm going to play my role. That's LeBron James. See, everybody got a role. So people shouldn't be out here saying, oh, you're entertained. You ain't got no opinion. No, 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 no. That ain't about that. If we're talking collective, everyone has a role. Okay, I don't have the money. Excuse me. I have the money and I have something else, too. What? I have a platform see all these people out here who love watching me play basketball i'm gonna go over them saying you love what you made a lot of money off me playing basketball you just like taking your picture you know with me it's very nice okay i'm gonna need a hundred thousand dollars from you i'm gonna need fifty thousand from you i'm gonna need two hundred from you i'm gonna need a million from you and so lebron james gets the thing together guess what this is a man that knows his role (laughs) you understand i'm gonna play that role now that doesn't mean that LeBron James, after he retires, can't go get a law degree and go practice law and end up being on the Supreme Court. It doesn't mean that. In fact, the guy I'm wearing right here, this guy was an All-American football player. This guy was Phi Beta Kappa at Rutgers, graduated top of his class. The man went to Columbia Law School and got a law degree. Quit practicing law because his wife is like, yeah, a great singer voice. She's a great actor. Come on. I'm going to manage you. Let's move. Becomes the biggest theater movie star and recording artist in the world then turns around and says, you got to get rid of these nuclear weapons. And the Soviet Union said, they may get rid of theirs if you get rid of yours. You know, what? I'm for peace. At which point, the government he grew up in Turns on him and he has to go to the House Un American Activity Committee and they ask him if he's a communist. And his response is, My father was a slave. We built, and, and I'm gonna have a piece of this country, and none of you fast is gonna run me away. And all the Negro, respectable Negroes, turn from him. But the masses don't turn from him, him and his wife. And ultimately, his passport is restored and he travels around the world. This is the man that influenced Harry Belafonte. This is the man that influenced and was friends with W.E.B. Du Bois, who respected Du Bois so much. While people are quoting Du Bois's uh, 1950-some article, why I won't vote. You should go read a little deeper about uh, W.B. Du Bois who ran for Senate actually in New York State on a third party ticket. You know, are places where you can say that, you know, like Washington D.C. or where I am, Maryland, that's cool. But somebody's listening to you in Georgia and somebody's listening to you in Texas and somebody's listening to you in South Carolina and that might be the vote that gets it just in the threshold of steal. So Alito and Clarence Thomas and, uh, and Amy Coney Barrett and Justice McConnell Gorsuch and Justice Beer Kavanaugh got five now. And guess what? John Roberts, who's weeping tears now because his precious Supreme Court is now occupied by the white nationalist party, and he can't do nothing about it, he can count. Once you count to five, it's over. With a Democrat in there, you can actually think, you know, there's no number. There's no number for people on the Supreme Court. So, you know, I think we should expand and we should expand the federal courts as well, the courts of appeal and maybe the district courts. You can't do that. We got the numbers, Mitch. So this is what we're not going to do no more. We're not going to sit and be like, and then my colleague from Kentucky is concerned. No, there ain't no colleagues. Ain't no <laughs> colleagues. Sweet Lindsay, Lil' Lynn from South Carolina that ignored the Senate rules and pushed your hand made through even though you're not supposed to be able to do that without the quorum and none of the Democrats were there. Guess what? When it flips, if you're still in the Senate, because somebody in South Carolina, turn off them fools talking about it's the same party <laughs> and put Lindsay, uh, Jamie Harrison in. And Jamie Harrison, let's be clear, is in that Hakeem okay. Jeffries lane. So just because he wins don't mean he's going to vote to expand the court. You gonna have to light a little fire under him and remind him as a six year term, bruh, don't worry about uh, reelection. Let's put a little heart in you when you show up over there, you know, and you go on and vote the right way. And we'll worry about re-election in year five, because by then a bunch more of these babies going to have turned 18, and they ain't never going to win another election in South Carolina or Georgia or Texas, and that's why they're fighting so hard in 2020, because they know this is the last election they can have close enough to steal because all them babies y'all been having the last 10, 15 years, Hmm. many of them going to be 18 in 2024, and you get a little step closer to building the kind of society where you can then say the United States government has dropped all the uh, the barriers to having dual citizenship. Now, I'm sorry, Ados, I don't know about y'all. My people came out of enslavement, but I'd like to have a passport, a Nigerian passport, a Ghanaian passport, a South African passport. I'm gonna get all them passports. Now, y'all can stay here with your red, white, and blue passport and keep begging these people to let see you and feel seen and all that kind of stuff. I'm gonna get some more passports because I'm gonna tell you what makes the American passport stronger for you. When the Nigerians come in and say, I understand that the uh, police shot one of our nationals last night in Kansas City. Oh, watch how quick that helps you in your local struggle. Ada. So you got to understand the world as it is, not the world as somebody told you in a 20 minute video. And then understand how we have made progress in the past. But I'm going to call them. <laughs> and we supposed to talk about books. And that's
0: enough of that talk unless you you want to i just i just wanted to underline that the arrogance and hubris of harry Reid is why there was no quorum uh when the democrats had the senate thinking that they were going to have it forever they were short-sighted they underestimated they underestimated these people we shall not underestimate them we've been watching them for 400 years we know what they're capable of we have uh been literally under their knee, and uh yeah we will not underestimate them we will not be childish In the way in which we move in the world, we're going to be very cerebral and sober, and move forward. And I wanted to take this pause today because I know, as we head into next week, it's going to be stressful. Maybe, Um, even though I do think Biden's going to win in a landslide, I do think that maybe we won't know that night. Maybe we will. I don't know what unrest is going to come out of a Biden victory. I think there will be. So I just need us to just let our hair down and just relax a little bit and love on one another, and I know that you love comic books, so I wanted to take the day to just, you know, celebrate you and your love of of comics, and also kind of like as a, you know, a fine line for for folk to, to, to be okay with being quote unquote nerds, be okay with just liking frivolous things that people think are frivolous, but I think that the television watching, the comic books, the novels, all of that builds Build you as a person
1: and round you out. I agree. So let's let's okay. So then good. Let's spend some time on that. You're right. And thank I you mean, for you know I love celebrate. Me gets to celebrate. We get to celebrate each other and celebrate us because there's a lot of people who are in this. In fact, let me ask you. Uh, do you remember your first encounter with a comic book? No, I actually am not a comic book fan. You said At that all. before. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I I watched the
0: comic strips. You know, like Hey, uh, okay. the Horrible and beetle beetle bailey and me too yeah so i grew up on that and and doing a little crosswords in the the back of the comic like i love newspapers my dad loved to read newspapers so i would get the comics on on saturday or sunday you know come on saturday sunday i would go read those comic strips but i was not a comic book person at all so
1: well you 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 said that before you said i remember you said it before we were talking because so many many folks who were listening and watching that don't remember karen said that and you know, all comics are is sequential storytelling, visual storytelling in sequence. And as we talked about, the, when we talked about comics a little while ago, just for brief, briefly, we know that Africans have been doing that since the beginning of humanity. And the highest form after, you know, cave paintings and things like that, where you see the stories in sequence or or at least see the gestures towards stories. The, uh, the form that we've seen in terms of the kind of early perfection of the sequence storytelling is the Egyptians. So when you go in the tombs and temples of Egypt, you're looking at sequential storytelling. That's what that is. They're they're telling stories. I mean, so it is the form that comics use. Now. Well, I wanted wanted to know about you. You know, you
0: play, you love music. Yes. Oh, I see. You apparently can rap, because we already did, you know, kind of like the history of comic books. But, you know, I just want to make, you know, make time and space for what makes great car. Oh, I smile in your
1: soul like what oh I see okay okay I will I'll tell you as a child um just like a lot of black folks and I know there's a lot of black people watching today who remember those uh, we talked about the encyclopedias that would come in your house there was a set that it took me being an adult and acquiring them to know where they came from they were produced by the Association for the Study of Afro-American Life and History on the history of black Americans. Several black institutions created those kind of things in the in the 1960s and 70s. Um, there was a set that was produced by Ebony Magazine, you know, a lot of things. But in the ones that Asala did, there was there were black and white representations of uh, a comic that was actually drawn by the great Tom Feelings. This is uh this is actually. Uh, Tom Feelings. In fact, let me just take this here. I'll take the dust jacket off so you can see Tom Feelings. We showed this picture before. We talked about him before. I think we even showed this book before. This is the book Tommy Traveler, right? The World of Black History. Tommy Traveler and the World of Black History. As a child, growing up in Nashville, my parents had these encyclopedias, and that was really, looking back, that was my introduction to Black history as such. And so, you know, I remember the Christmas Attic story because it's a little boy who's reading. We talked about this too in class in class with car. We uh he's reading, he goes to sleep, he wakes up, he's on this ship, and he's working his Christmas Attic. So many years later, I was very fortunate to have come across the actual comic books that Tom Feelings illustrated, and these are the ones that many people remember, I'm sure. Y'all remember the Golden Legacies, right? There's the comic book Christmas Addicts and the man. There he is, giving that work. I mean, not just because history says he just got shot. You know, he did. He did. And Addicts is in the wrong place at the wrong time. But when you were a child, you know, Christmas Addicts who was a grown man, um, in his in his fifties, whose uh, folks came out of the Caribbean, who's in Boston because it was then is now uh, an international city, and the black people there, many of them came out of the Caribbean, Prince Hall from Barbados, all of them. You know, he gets caught up because this is the police, this police violence. This is always oh, the British. Yeah, the British were the ones in charge of Boston. It was their colony, Massachusetts colony. So therefore, the police action they shot down addicts and his friends in the so-called Boston Maddox Massacre. And I've stood at the grave of Christmas Addicts in Boston. And he's in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yes. And in fact, these cops, and I'm calling them cops because they were the police of the time, were defended by John Adams, who ended up being the second president of the United States. John Adams said, well, I only shot a bunch of Jack Tars, Saucy Boys, and Negroes. So, you know, and they were re- they were being rowdy. So, you know, but anyway, hopefully passes in that prelude. But yeah, but as a child, all you know is, it's a little black boy look like me in this comic book. He's doing his stuff, and he goes to sleep, and he comes out. Here's the little boy. I'm coming, sir. I'm coming the kid look like me. And that's the important thing. And you see addicts over here. Remember in Lovecraft when my man comes out in the Jackie Robinson, you know, you this is when a chi- that's what a child sees, you understand. I learned the history as an adult, but now I know Black people in there. And they, and they had what? Ben Banneker, the life of Benjamin Banneker, right? Golden Legacy. I mean, all of them, you see the different ones. I won't go through all of them, but... pause a- on ben- Benjamin Banneker for a second because I don't think
0: people know the depth of that man and the impact on culture, history, and everything, that one man.
1: No, Benjamin Banneker, in fact, Benjamin Banneker, look, look, there he is. Ha <laughs> ah, ha, my man laying it out. Did the first wood, first working clock made out of wood in North America, colonial North America. And it worked until the day of his funeral because when he was being buried in Maryland, somehow mysteriously, his house burnt down with all his papers. Oh, it's crazy, what happened to Ben Banneker. But Banneker, Banneker was an astronomer or surveyor when Pierre Lafon uh, went back to France. He finished the job of laying out uh, laying out Washington DC. In fact, there's a, oh man, there's a great poem. Eh, let me see it, it's not, oh, I, the, the author escapes me at the time, but at the moment. But what the author writes about in this poem, and I have it'll, maybe it'll come to me before we get off the air today. Um. Black arts movement poet. He writes about Banneker staying up all night, walking the land that will become Washington DC while everybody else is asleep, and looking at the stars. Because DC is laid out very geometrically. You know, my man, Tony Browder, gives a tour called Egypt on the Potomac. A lot of it is Egyptian, really filtered through the Greek, but really Egyptian. And Banneker is surveying the land. He's mapping it out. He's mapping the angles, the lanes, how it radiates like the sun, the meridian, which is 16th street. Uh, by the way, all my people, in fact, Lance Reynolds, who I mentioned earlier, they're gonna be down in front of the White House tomorrow all day for a party. He said Black Lives Matter Square, we to return it out. We all this momentum. We celebrating, right? We celebrating our momentum as we're building. But Banneker. Is it Jay Wright?
0: Jay Wright, is Jay Wright the poet? Jay Wright? Jay
1: Wright might be the one. It's actually in if you go on the website of the poetry journal. It's called Poetry, Poetry Foundation. It might be. It's a a long poem. Is that the long? It's a very long poem. If you're looking at it, it might be the one because he's because he's talking about how Banneker is just walking and looking at the stars, Mm -hmm. communing with the ancestors. And it just brings Banneker a lot. There have been several big books on Benjamin Banneker, the life of Benjamin Banneker. And it really talks about Banneker's uh, genius as a. he created the almanac. So, you know, when to plant the seasons, he sent them to Thomas Jefferson. Jefferson was so shook, he never wrote Banneker back. He sent the stuff to another dude. It's like, what do you think about these kinds of things? Hey, man, write the man back. And then Banneker writes him these letters and says, you know, sir, suffer me to your mind to remember the time when you and your comrades argued against the British saying they were deprived of your rights. And at the same time, you deprived me and my kindred through the heinous act. Of the same rights i mean he's 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 blistering thomas jefferson this man had died in debt the donald trump of his era in many ways although i, I won't put that on uh jefferson because he actually had a brain but he definitely was in debt like trump is in debt but banneker is a is, is such an outsized figure and the interesting another interesting thing about it is his grandfather by all accounts was uh taken from africa and he had come out of a royal line in africa now i don't mean here you know, everybody we talk about kings and queens no Monarchy has a lot of problems, including African monarchy. So this isn't a celebration of everybody was king, queen, because it's not true. And even if it was, why, who in the hell we don't want kings and queens necessarily? We need new structures of government. But Banneker's grandfather apparently came out of a royal line, and he was purchased on the auction block in Maryland by his grandmother, who was a white Irish woman who had been sent to the United States instead of getting locked up. Because she was an indentured servant who had been accused of spilling some milk in a barn or something. Her name was Molly. Man, in fact, there's a children's book about her. But anyway, I don't, I, I'm looking over it because I know it's over there somewhere, but no need to go get it now. She then gets sent to America. She busts her tail, gets some land. In fact, think of Molly Banneke in some ways in the uh, in the Sean Connery line. She's she's part of one of those subjects of the British, in other words. but she's white. And she gets something when she comes to America that all people from Ireland or Scotland or any of these European nations get. It's called whiteness. That's what creates a lot of the confusion. So she buys her uh, banner who is Benjamin Banneker's grandfather, on the auction block. In fact, uh, the comic book doesn't talk about this. This starts with, uh, oh, yeah, watch this. (laughs) I love this. Look, this is him. He's going to build this first wooden clock. So first thing he comes up, he comes up on the white dude. Ben notices Joseph Levy's watch. Is that a timepiece? Yes, a watch. He said, "Ah, I've never seen a watch or a clock, though I've helped build a sundial for our school. Uh, Could you explain to me how it works? Well, uh, uh, I'll do better than that. Lend you the watch. Then you can study its movements. Okay, liberal white guy going to help. Back home. Back home. The episode with the crops is soon replaced with Ben's mind by the watch. Later that evening. Hello, Mr. Heinrich. Ben, come in. (laughs) <laughs> he says, uh, Ben tells Peter Heinrich of his interest in the watch. The key is in how the watch works, moves. If I could discover how this force works, I could make other things move in the same way. <laughs> or you could make a clock that chimes the hour and we wouldn't have to import them anymore. Yes, surely there are, there are rules, formulas. So, Banneker starts working. Oh, there he is, there he is, boom enlarging them and carving every piece out of the sounding device out of wood until he built his own clock that chimed. Benjamin Banneker built the first clock in the British colonies and every piece in the clock was made from wood. He took the dude's watch apart. I ain't (laughs) never seen no watch. Could you show me? Oh, okay. I got you. Hmm. Hmm. All right takes wood, (laughs) makes everything in that watch, the metal pieces, makes everything out of wood, except he don't make a clock, he don't make a watch. The dude made a standing clock, enlarged all the pieces. You know What kind of mind it takes to take something this big and make it this big, (laughs) makes the clock, it chimes on the hours, it never loses time. Doesn't lose a second, doesn't lose a minute, and works up into the day of his funeral when some of the great, 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 grandparents of these white nationalists burned his whole house down with the clock in it and all his papers when he died. So you can imagine.
0: Because they didn't want anyone to duplicate what he did. And he was leaving institutional knowledge that they didn't want us to build on.
1: Oh, oh, Karen. Now that's heartbreaking. Yes. So that's Banneker, right? So
0: the golden legacy, and they there. Well, I'm, I'm not done. I'm not done knowing about Benjamin Banneker. Okay, what well, you know, as we celebrate gangsters and you know, drug dealers, where's the documentary, or oh, excuse me, where's the movie, where's the feature film, where's the series on on this brother? So, what happened after after his grandfather was purchased? Did he? Oh, oh, I'm
1: sorry, come on now, you leaving out
0: the oh, My bad, my bad. I thought you're right, you're
1: right, that's wrong, that's wrong. I should do it. Okay, <laughs> let me. Damn, I should, man, I wish I could put my hands on either the Banneker book or Molly Banneke, which is a great little... Nah, I'm, I'm going to take a risk. I, most of my children's books are in another room, and I'd be looking through other stuff. So let me just summarize it very quickly. Because this is unbelievable. Although it's very believable, because we know black people. And to those of you who are filmmakers, and you know, we both have a lot of friends. You got more friends than I do in, in the I movie know. industry. Yeah, because you interview them, you talk to them all the time. I, I was watching last week. you got these cats sitting up I'm like yeah common imagine common he gonna play bannock so i was watching you talk to common about voting right so let's see we got our brother we got brother lonnie from chicago a member of my dear brother baba j uh jeremiah wright's church trinity in fact in fact (laughs) jeremiah wright often says says when common comes to church and he's in town he come to church and i was giving my sermons i'll be preaching i look up i see common we lock eyes i nod he nod when I finish, he comes up and he basically translates my entire sermon through verse. He said, that's the genius of comedy. He could take what I said in the sermon and then get, 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 the, get the musicians behind him and spit a verse that encompasses everything I said. So let's imagine this comedy. He's playing Banneker's grandfather, Banneke, that's his name, standing on the block. And we could pick a white woman. Y'all can decide who y'all want to be the white woman playing Molly. She sees him. She buys him. And then, uh, as Donald Trump would say, a short period of time, I don't know how many months it was. I don't remember now, top of my head. She frees him. He's not only a good worker. She finds out the guy is a genius. And the things work. And more importantly, she frees him because she fell in love with him. Then they get married in Maryland. And watch this. The reason I'm calling her Monty, Molly Banneke, because she took his name as her last name. <laughs> he passes away after they have a couple of children, one of whom is their daughter. Their daughter is the mother of Benjamin Banneker, who was born before his own grandmother, the white woman Molly Banneke from Ireland, passed. And it was from his grandmother. That Benjamin Banneker heard the stories of her husband, his grandfather, who was a surveyor of the stars because it was information and a technique he had learned when he was in Africa. So Benjamin Banneker's penchant for astronomy did not come from Europe. It came from the Africans who watched the stars in his grandfather's homeland. So, <laughs> So as we drive the streets of Washington DC and talk about Pierre Lenfant who is buried at, at, at Arlington National Cemetery atop the hill, looking down. And they say, oh, here is the land he surveyed. LaFont went back to France and he was a drunk. We I mean, ain't gonna get into Pierre LaFont. In fact, there's a LaFont plaza. When you come up Lafont Plaza, you run right into the Smithsonian Castle. By the way, the the, the red the redstone of the Smithsonian Castle was quarried by enslaved Africans. Jefferson Davis was one of the members of the first Smithsonian Board of Governors. But anyway, we we'll guess the story for another day. Pierre Lafond, Lafont Plaza comes up, but at the end of Lafant Plaza, at the not the end, at the very beginning, near the water, and then it stretches all the way through, and then it comes through the city, and then on the other side of White House, of course, 16th Street, the Meridian. At the beginning, at the head of Lafont Plaza, there is, to use the old gospel parlance from the old gospel song, there is a fountain. It ain't filled with blood though; it's filled with water. And the fountain is Benjamin Banneker Monument. So the Banneker Monument is the beginning of Lafont Plaza because Lafont went home. Banneker the one finished the job. So yeah, so that was his grandfather. Yes, he, he got that surveying honest he got it from his grandfather who then passed it on then the daughter's son is benjamin banneker and that's how banneker is right banneker is raised in maryland as a farmer surveyor this kind of thing and of course he comes into the district what becomes the district of columbia once the united states federal government decides they can't have uh philadelphia or new york serve as the uh capital political capital new york is the financial capital Philadelphia was the place they had the first white, uh, the president's house. That's where Ona Judge and Hercules and them ran away from George Washington's enslaving ass. And so then they said, now we need to have a place that don't belong to anybody yet. So they drug out of a swamp. I'm doing this not because I'm Jay-Z Hove. No, because they made a perfect diamond drawing it out of parts of Maryland and Virginia. And that's the District of Columbia, And which all black nationalists know. Y- y'all know this. Uh, they don't refer to Washington, D.C. as Washington, D.C. They call it Banneker City. In fact, the, the Black Nazis in the 60s and 70s renamed many of the cities. They don't call it Philadelphia. They call it Richard Allen. They don't call it Baltimore. That's Tubman City. And if you ever hear old head Black folk talk about uh, Banneker, they're talking about uh, Washington, D.C. So, yeah, that's... A, it. So, 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 yeah, so, so, yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, and, and Golden Legacy had all of these. In fact, I'll just show you one more. This is volume 11. In fact, since we're about Banneker, let me do one other thing. Well, two other things. This is the cover. But look at the back. Every Something for everyone. From Avon. See the company at your golden legacy. A bicentennial gift in recognition of a great heritage. I was 11 years old. Avon is a white company now. Of course, a lot of black women made money on Avon now. The Avon lady, I knew Avon ladies at church like Mary Kay. <laughs> you can get their money now. You know what I'm saying? Um, I don't know that my mama ever used Avon, although she bought Avon, because sometimes you buy stuff because somebody black selling it, right? So, but look at that. See, Black people, come on now. And so then, but this is the other thing I was going to show you. Here is the, I have to be careful because these these are fragile. This is the Golden Legacy Advisory Board, publisher and editor, Bertram Fitzgerald, artist, Joan Backus, Tom Feelings, there he is, Ezra Jackson, very important uh, cartoonist as well. John Baptist and Francis Taylor wrote, but the consultant is Benjamin Quarles. Benjamin Quarles was a professor of history at Morgan State for a number of you. Benjamin Quarles was the man. Negro History Bulletin. We had to do a whole thing on the NHB. Very important. But look at the letter they're talking about. Those of you who will pause it probably in the video. We won't read it now. You can pause it and see. They're thanking people. Issue contains endorsements from representatives of the New York City Board of Education, NAACP, National Urban League, Association of the Study of Negro Life and History, and Dr. Benjamin Quarles, eminent historian and professor of history at Morgan State College. This is blaze our black institutions. Yeah, let Avon pay for it, but you gotta go to the black institutions for the expertise. So, you know, those who want to make a movie, y'all cast somebody for banner and make a hell of a Benjamin Bannica movie, get somebody good for his casting cast it with all new talent. And let some of these people with money fund that. And then if you wanna write some companion comic books, go to the black high schools and the black and the HBCUs and get your illustrators and get your historians and let's do an all black thing. And then if you want somebody to write the bill, go get Jack Dorsey to drop $10 million on Twitter. Who knows? I mean, anyway, let, let them pay for it if you want, but let's do it. We can do, we have everything we need. In fact, we even got the money, But You know, let them pay for it. Black Lives Matter. So, as a child, (laughs) (laughs) so as a child, then, you know, I'm reading, you know, these are, that was my introduction, was the Tom Feeling stuff. And then, but I didn't know comic books because, like you, we read what my dad even called the funny papers. So, yeah, I mean, so the joy I got was when I went to Mr. Neely's drugstore, as I've told you before, and I'll keep this short because realizing, and I, um, went in the comic book store and used to have the towers with all the comic books on them, little metal towers with the comic books. And I bought uh, an Archie comic, took it back, and my daddy was like, hmm, and then, funny book. And I was like, "Yes, yeah, Archie. I see Archie in the comics, so I'm about the Archie book. I'm like, this ain't really good. I can read this. Un-. So I go back, and I asked Mr. Neely if I could switch. Neely was an old black man, brother. He worked hard, built his little drugstore, had the comic book rack in there. He ain't gonna bother no little knucklehead black kid. Can I? Yeah, I don't care. Just make sure it costs the same. All right. At that time, I think they were 25 cents. They were a nickel. I mean, not a nickel. They were 25 cents a quarter. And you know, that's big money for me. So I switched. I switched because I saw the Black Panther and they were fighting for the evil eye of Dormammu in the Avengers Defenders War. And, but then see, this is how they get you in comic books. Because right? then you buy one and you realize, wait, this is number what? Avengers Defenders number what name and I wrote about it in Todd Burroughs' book, the, 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 the afterword to his book on Black Panther, uh, the best book as far as I'm concerned on Black Panther, Todd Stephen Burroughs. And I said, damn, now I got to get to other ones. And then this one, they, they come out every month. Then I figured out when the comic books come in, now I got to follow the Avengers Defenders War. The problem is the Avengers and the Defenders are two separate comic books. <laughs> so therefore, I got to buy the next Avengers. I got to buy the next Defenders. And that's what got me hooked up on comics. And I've been hooked ever since. So I went to, Black Panther didn't have his book yet. He had a book called Jungle Action. We have to do a whole thing on Black Panther because in fact, there are a number of books. If y'all want to read more about Black Panther, uh, this is a good one. Black Panther, The Illustrated History of a King, The Complete Comics Chronology, Dennis Culver's book is very good. It takes you through the whole thing. If you want one for younger people, perhaps a little audience, uh, this is a good one. Marvel, Black Panther, The Ultimate Guide. It takes you through all the comics from the beginning. And so I'll just show you a couple more of the ones that I really, uh, this is a great one. Imagine as a child, because you remember this dude, right? (laughs) Evil Knievel. Knievel jumping, you know, we were kids. Remember Evil Knievel was, uh, you know, white dude, Vegas, had the big things, we children, you know, we watching on TVs. He's going to make it jumping across with motorcycles. He was in a rocket one time or something like that. But that's less important. What's important is this is, there ain't no jungles in Africa, mind you, in terms of topography. They're rainforests, it's jungles in Latin America, but Jungle Action. This was the book. So they give this guy the book and he puts the Black Panther as the star in Jungle Action. It's jungles, right? But check this one out. This 25 cents. Number 19, beginning an all new Panther epic at in the heart of civilization, T'Challa, Battles the primitive power of the clan. He putting an ass whipping on the clan, cause his girlfriend sacrifice of blood. His girlfriend been kidnapped by the clan. Now they don't spell it with a K, cause they being subversive. This is from 1975. I was 10 years old. So as a child, now of course this is being tongue in cheek. Civilization. Back by, by yeah, it's Stephen Miller and them. If y'all want to kind of keep track, but anyway. The point is that the Black Panther in the 1970s, along with Luke Cage, along with the Falcon, along with these heroes, these for a black kid and now at 10 years old, I'm old enough to start earning my own money, bagging groceries, things like that. But for us in Nashville, in the South, you know, it's a city, but it's also, you know, spaced out. You can cut grass. So grass cutting money from 10 years old to the time I went to college. Grass cutting money went from 10, 11, 12, up till 16. Then it became fast food money. Arby's, Wendy's, Crystal's. Those of you in the South know about Crystal Hamburgers. I worked in, I worked the graveyard shipping in Crystal's up through my junior year in college. I, mean, I went to work at 10 p.m., came out of work at 6 a.m., took a shower, went to class. Went back to the dorm, took a shower, went to class. But the point is this. That money, every Wednesday, faithfully, from then to now, some of that money went to buying comic books. And so if, uh, and I'm just giving people sources now if they wanna, um, Sheena Howard has written a very good little book called, a big book called, The Encyclopedia of Black Comics. Uh, She's at Ryder University. Very good book to help you, everything you wanna know about black comics. Um, Here's another one that she edited with Ronald Jackson, my friend Ronald Jackson was at Penn State, um, that's now University of Cincinnati. Black Comics, Politics of Race and Representation, edited by Sheena Howard and Ronald Jackson. Very important, those two books, but for me personally, as you say, in terms of my journey, comics is where I started learning vocabulary. You know, the Mandarin fighting Iron Man, call him the son of a fatherless dog, and he says, you Cretan, I gotta go look cretin up. <laughs> what is a cretin? <laughs> you know what I'm I mean, so between that and the Bible and, and church, the power of language is there, but it's tied to moving images. And when you start thinking about that for the rest of us, then I started finding, these other comics, and there are far too many to talk about today, but I'll mention this because some there are people probably in class today with us who are from my and your parents' generation. And you know, here's a here's a facsimile copy of all Negro comics. This is the first comic written, illustrated, and published by an African American staff, 1947. And so, you know, it's got the stereotype stuff in it and this kind of thing. It was this one was uh 15 cents. And you got some crazy stuff. Black people did this to other black people. You see him chasing his child. I mean, children in danger and representing what they thought Africa was, that's a tired theme in minstrelsy and in postcards and all this kind of stuff, always endangering black children. But what you see in here is a more subtle take on it. It isn't always, well, anyway, I going not get too deep into that. But as I started collecting, it was almost always marvelous. So in the 70s and then 80s, I started, you know, Black Panther eventually got its own book. And then I started reading um, The Avengers real heavy. And the reason I came to The Avengers, as I said, was because T'Challa, the Panther, was in there. I came in through the Black people. And, And then The Falcon, you know, I started reading Captain America because The Falcon was in it and he was Black. I started reading Luke Cage because Luke Cage was Black. And so The Falcon is an interesting character because... In I guess it was Captain America, maybe 175 in the original in the in the in the series in the 70s, they go to Wakanda, and I'm loving this because you know black people we're rooting for black people even when we haven't had a developed historical philosophy of history we see somebody look like us we're rooting for them, so you see Captain America Steve Rogers you know blonde hair blue eyes you know he's in there T'Challa is his friend they talking whatever Sam Wilson is there the Panther they know each other from the Virginia for the Avengers they with Wakanda. And T'Challa is like, hey, man, what's going on? Hey, Max, hang back for a minute. I'm going to do something. So then in the next page, you look over the panels. And here comes the Falcon. And Captain America is like, what y'all been doing? He said, I'm showing. So the Falcon does like this, and he got these wings. Where you get them from? T'Challa hooked me up. That's where the Falcon's wings came from. Y'all watch these movies and the Falcon's flying, shooting shoot and stuff. T'Challa gave him them wings in the comic book. So as a kid, we're like, oh, we see these Black men getting together. Captain America, that's cool. Many years later when they told Captain America back, oh, wait a minute, hold on. Okay, yeah, I'll come to that in a second because I don't want to get too far. And I know we're taking a pause to talk about this and I'm grateful that you've given me the chance to talk about some of this stuff. Oh, here we go. And I, I, Let me let me tie this together. The 1970s, it's a, it, it, this is the commercial comics. We don't know about these independent people trying to write comics. By the 1980s, you get a few people writing independent comics. And I got some of those here. And then into the 90s, Static, Dwayne McDuffie. In fact, there's a very good two-volume series called uh this is volume two. I didn't pull volume one called Black Comics. This is wow. Black Comics Returns, Volume Two. Wow. Yeah, this is John Jennings and Damian Duffy. They put this together to talk about, and they're incredible artists and kind of people on their own. They talk about all the independent comics and all the Black artists and Black women and Black men who write all this stuff. And I'm going to show y'all a few of those in a minute. But get Black Comics and Black Comics Returns. They're kind of hard. They need to bring them back into print. Black Comics itself, the first volume, is too expensive. It's really too expensive. But I'm mentioning them because we didn't know. We were buying Marvel or DC. And we were always side with Marvel because we like Marvel's characters better. Although uh, DC had Black Lightning. And by the way, that Warner Brothers—I mean—is—is is it? No, it's the CW. CW. Uh, yeah. I, have you have you talked to any of the cast? Of course, all of, of course them. Today. All of them. I, I want to see what you think about Black Lives. See, you say you ain't read comics, but you them.
0: To- <laughs> I watch a lot of television. So, mm. um, Creswell—you know—I know crest from Scooter, uh, Living Single. You of know, course. Uh, and and the the daughters. The first season was the blackest thing I'd ever seen on television.
1: so Black. The music was incredible.
0: <laughs> but I couldn't keep up with it because it got
1: too hokey. Yeah.
0: And then the albino, I just like, you oh, know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, you're right. Uh,
0: but the first season, everything.
1: Yeah. And see, it's just, what's so crazy about, I'm glad you said it, Ken, because when I saw it was coming out, I was like, hmm. Because again, I knew Black Lightning from the comic books, and Black Lightning was not a well developed character. DC had problems with his character. So, man, when that's like you said, when they, man, I heard that Barry White, and then they got Bill Withers, they got Nina. I'm saying now, you know, uh, Shonda Rhymes and them played with it with, you know, uh, what's the name of that? I, I about blocked that too, but. uh.
0: <laughs> How to get away with murder?
1: no 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 the the, the uh the, the thomas jefferson one. uh scandal scandal. Oh, scandal yeah 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 the president in the clandestine affair with the black woman right uh scandal yes so and the music i i used to get mad because not mad because i don't have any expectations of television but certainly not commercial television but i used to say you know this is the kind of y'all are using music you're not even using it the way Curtis Mayfield used it in the soundtrack for Superfly, which was Curtis Mayfield wrote a soundtrack that critiqued the movie. I mean, he's you, when you're watching the scenes and you hear the music, the music is critiquing what you're watching on the scene. You see them out there peddling dope, you see the guy get caught up in it, and then you hear Freddy's dead. And you're like, what is he doing? And then when he says, you know, we can deal with rockets and dreams, but reality, what does it mean? Don't be misled, because Freddy's dead. <laughs> but you're watching <laughs> the guys in Mayfield, but that ain't what they did in Scandal. You're using this serious Black music to promote the pathology on screen. But in Black Lightning, you done synced up the music. Man, you got you got Black people ready to shed a tear when the boy gets shot in the street, or the, you come to tell him his son is dead. You got the right music playing. Oh, my God and you got the Bill Withers. Oh, man, and you don't have what you would expect. You know, when you, you know. Maybe it's the lateness of the hour, Mm -mm. makes me feel lonelier than I am. But In my heart, there is a shower. Hope you'll be happier with him. That dude from Slab Fork, West Virginia, Bill Withers, now, y'all, what, how y'all got this laid up um, in here? And he hits that damn blue. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. You playing the blues and Black Lightning. You, Nick Rose, whoever did this, now, whatever happened between the husband and wife collaborative team, okay, that's for the gossip, and y'all talk about it on the Breakfast Club. But I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> Last night I saw a superhero, he was black. This is for the streets. Black Lightning's back. And I'm saying, and that sister, the Brit, who plays his wife, Lynn, you know, I didn't realize until, I guess you interviewed her, too.
0: I didn't realize she was British. Yeah, I did not I did not interview her. She was the one I didn't. The two oh, of
1: her friends yeah. She's probably right overseas.
0: She's right overseas, okay. right
1: over yeah. And, and the sister, the piece Williams, she's from Philly. So I'm like, you know, I mean, it was a beautiful thing. So, but Black Lightning, I didn't really collect Black Lightning. We didn't do the D.C. stuff. Right, because it seemed like they were just kind of, but Marvel always had more of a kind of a social orientation. And then when they get to the 1990s, Marvel goes back to those black characters and starts giving the backstories that they had previewed in the 60s, 70s and 80s. So, for example, Captain America. Now, people watching the movies know Captain America got the super soldier serum and that's how he became Captain America. But we in America black people. So you already know that they didn't experiment on him. They knew the serum would work. Why? Because they tested on test subjects and you know who the test subjects were. So they decide truth. Captain America. They make the backstory of Captain America a riff on the Tuskegee experiment. They doped up all these brothers with the super soldier serum and all of them died except one. The brother who lived was the black Captain America, or better yet, the brother who lived was Captain America, World War II. Steve Rogers is the white Captain America. And then they bring it forward in one of the junior superhero groups when his grandson, Isaiah, decides he going to be the Patriot. Because the old man now lives in New York, and the old man is like, you know, uh, I was Captain America. Really? The grandson gets powers. So the grandson shows up. He's like a 14, 15-year-old. He shows up, tells Steve Rogers, give me the shield. It's my grandfather's shield. Who are you? What? He finds out Captain America, who preceded him, is alive and he's like, oh, wow. Okay, so the young boy becomes the Patriot. He's in the Junior Avengers. Young Avengers is what they call it. The Patriot some of the other children superheroes, and then to tie a knot on that, and those of you who read comic books know that Storm and Black Panther got married, and so Storm and Black Panther get married, they get married in, which is why I'm wondering how they gonna pull. And Halle right Berry. Oh no no, no 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 no. This we don't know who they are gonna cast. It won't be Halle. No, oh, I know I'm saying Storm is always gonna be Halle Berry to me. I don't know. Oh then that well, which is why it's gonna be very interesting because it'll be interesting because now, you know, Disney got to make all the money. And now that they've settled about it, by the way, we talked about that as well. In fact, I didn't pull Blade because well, I had a few Blades, but I don't know if I pulled any of them around here. Let me see if I had some Blades right here. No, no. But um, Blade, of course, is a vampire. Blade was British. He's British in the comic books. And so what you see, it's very interesting when you see the Black superheroes get together. When Marvel reboots Black Panther, And I didn't. Let me see if I pulled some of the black because I want to end with at least for now some of these conversations. Want to talk a little? Oh wait, here was one of the early independent comic books, Brother Man, Dictator of Discipline. See, I mean, this this is just a couple of them. I had a whole run, but it was written by, produced by black people in the in in during the hip hop era, the eighties and nineties. They had, they did their own gear, they did their own, and we was now by now I'm a grown man, right? In fact oh, wait, here. You can order your copies directly from them. They go some of the other copies. The excitement continues. And, of course, at this point, they were $2 a piece. This is during the hip-hop era. Black independent comics written, produced by Black people. Very important. But, oh, let me, let me, because cause things get complicated when we start talking about Marvel in D.C., because most people only know Marvel in D.C. I was hoping I had them all someplace in one place, but it doesn't look like I do. Let me, um, let me look one other place, Karen, while we're talking and see if I have them stacked here. Oh, yes. Here we go. Here we go. There we go. So when they rebooted Black Panther, here are just a few of them. Because the other thing about it is, people, when y'all think about buying comic books, I go to comic book store every Wednesday, except during the plague. When it reopened, we all back in there, like the dope things we are. Comic, comic <laughs> collectors' things. They be around there, you know, you know. And so it's very interesting. So I've been there and uh, you know, you get your comic books single issue, little thin issues like this, right? And I'm gonna talk about this one in a minute because this is DC. I'm buying a couple of DC now and I'll tell y'all why. But then what the comic book industry figured out is, and there's a whole backstory. The Marvel went to bankruptcy and then the Marvel DC wars and then the black characters were not valuable. So they sell off some licensing ability. Remember DC had the first big superhero movie with Superman, Christopher Reeves, 1978. So DC gets out in front of it in the movies. Marvel don't think the movies has got any potential, so they're they, they selling off licensing. Who buys Blade? Snipes. Snipes wanted to make Black Panther, too, but the tech wasn't right. It was Wesley Snipes' Blade that brought the Marvel Cinematic Universe into uh, being, really, if you go back. Because remember, when Blade drops, that's because they had had a corny Captain America on TV and they had the Spider-Man co- uh, cartoons. But Blade is the live-action hero that shows the Marvel characters the way. And it's a damn shame now, because Wesley Snipes, in many people's imagination, is a punchline. Oh, no, you should go back and talk to Wesley Snipes about that. But anyway, Panther, they reboot. It's the Hudlins. Actually, it's Reginald Hudlins. Writes Black Panther, A Nation Under Our Feet. Now, when you buy your comic books every week, you get the you get them one at a time. You wait. Once a month, they publish the, your, your title, the titles you're looking for. Then they figure out they can clump together whole runs, six issue runs, 12-issue runs, 20-issue runs after they've been published. That's what they call the TP uh, B, the trade paperback. These are trade paperbacks. This is what they look like. They're thin. So, you know, I you know, this is Black Panther. Tanahasse Coates is the latest writer to reboot Panther, right? Tanahassee Coates, there he is, Storm. You know, now let me see if I have the one in here where they know oh and for a time he got together with roxanne gay and they did world of wakanda very important because then they started getting black women to write the black women characters in fact they had a black superhero team the ultimates very important you see captain marvel in the comics if you saw the captain marvel movie there was a little black girl because her mother was best friends with carol danvers captain marvel when the black, when the comic book fans saw that, they said, okay, y'all about to get this right. Because Monica Rambeau is from New Orleans, and she becomes Captain Marvel. Or Quasar, or Pulse, Quasar. She's, like, bigger than Captain Marvel. That's a whole other story. But now, when, uh, let me finish the, the truth thing. So, when Black Panther marries Storm, this is when Reginald Hudlin is writing the book. Black Panther marries Storm, because they both from Africa. Remember, Storm is really Kenyan. And so she grew up, you know, around her. Her Storm's parents were activists. They knew Malcolm X. They were murdered. It's a whole backstory to that. They they do it, and then by then they do a mini series actually on the backstory of Storm's parents, who writes that is uh what's my man's name Eric Jerome Dickey. Oh, it's crazy. They got the whole it's comic books now. These cats writing comic books, right? So Storm Panther, Storm and T'Challa, Aurora uh, and T'Challa fall in love. They get married. They have the wedding in Wakanda. In the middle of the civil war between the superheroes. So if they've seen Captain America Civil War, what you don't see is in the comics, they was fighting each other about whether they should register as superheroes or not with the American government, but they all pause because T'Challa say, I ain't in it. I'm an African, I'm over here. Y'all ain't pulling me in the middle of that bullshit here. I'm getting married. Who's coming? Y'all coming? Cool. But here's the thing, no beef in Wakanda. So all the superheroes show up, put they put their arms down and they are gonna come to the wedding. There's a scene in the comics, you read the comics, you read the comics, here come the black superheroes. Here come Luke Cage, Falcon, Blade, the Brit. He's in town. They all in Wakanda. The Falcon is pushing a wheelchair. Luke Cage looks over at another black superhero and says, is that who I think it is? The brother says, yeah. Page gives the other brother a pound as the Falcon rolls by and in the wheelchair is the original black Captain America. He never leaves his apartment in. New York, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But they get married. I'll come to the wedding. And i said, How did he get man? That's the original Captain America. Yes, sir. Because these two get married. It was the event of it. Now, again, people watch the movies and think, Oh, this is great. Now, go get the comic books, you'll be very happy. In fact, I'll end with this for now. You know, these are just some of the Falcons. I know Disney is doing Falcon and Winter Soldier, you know. But the Falcon, because Falcon was coming to new Captain America, there he is with the wings. I didn't pull 175, the original, where you see him first get his wings from. But now they got, black women are writing a lot of the tap. This is Shuri. Remember, she's probably going to be the panther coming up. Who's writing Shuri? Nanetti Okrapo, the science fiction writer. She's writing Shuri now. So when you go to the comic stores, get that. My friend Eve Ewing, who's professor of the poet, Professor, professor uh, in Chicago, very brilliant sister. She's writing ree Williams. ree Williams is the Iron Man now. Iron Heart. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, you could get these comics, right? And so here's another Shuri. I just love, I mean, I love the artwork, right? Because they're getting the stretch out and they still doing their fiction. They still doing their writing and it's all kind of variations. Look, this is, uh, Lord have mercy. I, I even hesitate to show this, right? Because they got, they try to make money from everything, right? This is a novelty. Barack Panther versus the tremendous Trump. Right. So you got Barack Obama as uh, T'Challa fighting Trump. It's crazy. All kind of stuff. But I mean, but I want to show a couple of others. Uh, Of course, we know there's a black Spider-Man, of course, because everybody saw the cartoon into the Spider-Verse. Here's the comic one of the comics, Miles Miles Morales. He's Afro Latino. He's he's Spider-Man now. Right. So, I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, here's a better, you know, here's a couple of other variations. Miles Morales, Spider-Man. Many of you all know this. And if you got young people watching right now, they looking like, yeah, they're my comic books. And that's the other thing. I- I'll tell you about that in a second. I'm just going to show you a couple more of these. Um, so, Coates says, Marvel approaches him. They start talking. And ta they ask him, uh, you know, you interested in some other stuff. And according to Kerry James Marshall, who, by the way, was playing around with comic strips, I got all the Kerry James Marshall uh, catalogs. This is one that's kind of harder to find. It's called, "Um." this is actually one of the catalogs along the way. I went to New York to see the Kerry James Marshall exhibit because Kerry James Marshall was playing around with, with sequential art in something he called Rhythm Master. Back in the 80s, he's playing with Rhythm Master. He's got a whole series of comics based in Chicago, but you can't really see them because it wasn't a comic book. It was just panel art that kind of had stories in it. And so I went to New York because they had some of them on display and picked up a couple of the catalogs that are almost impossible to find. But you know, because the art catalogs, the thing about them is they produce them for a very kind of targeted audience and they're hella expensive so if you can't just scrub through all the used places and go to all the little backwater places and the remainder stores in New York you won't get them and then sometimes you just got to take the plunge and spend the, the money to get it because once you get it, you got it but you know, that's that's how it works but anyway, so wait a minute, hold on, because I, I I put that down to get that, oh yeah, yeah they asked Tadahasi James Marshall said, when approached about writing for Marvel, he wanted, I think it was Spider-Man, not Daredevil. Somebody else wanted Daredevil. But they gave him Captain America. I'm sorry, they gave him Black Panther. Eventually, ta gets this. He's still writing it. Captain America. Now Coates is writing Captain America. Now that's cool. I ain't mad. But my thing is, I think you started at the top of the food chain as far as a kid who was collecting comic book starts. Captain America, you have Black Panthers, brother. I mean, I know you want to write about America and the complicated relation, and it's actually brilliant in terms of what does it mean to wear the flag when you're in a country that has never really embraced patriotism, and really that's a contradiction, and Black people looking at you like you crazy, and a lot of white people too, like America, the symbol of America. But that's a storyline that was explored back in the 70s when I was a kid. At one point, Captain America took off the uniform and put on, he became nomad nomad the man without a country he was so disillusioned with america he took off captain america and put on nomad the man without a country i mean so even though Tanasi is much more nuanced and, and brilliant in terms of thinking through these things it ain't the first time captain america said now nah, i'm, I'm going to turn from the thing but you've got all these other people i'll show you now this is the dc title that i buy now this sister right here we all know m jemison the great science fiction writer uh, who's won the multiple Hugo Awards, right, the highest award you can get in science fiction fiction writing. This black woman who is uh, in the tradition of Stephen Barnes and Tom LaRendue and a lot of these black fiction, of course, Octavia Butler. This is far sector. Now there's been black Green Lanterns before, but they were men. She's writing far sector, the black female Green Lantern. So I mean, I'm like, okay, I see you, sis. There's some people saying you're, you're still reading these funny books? Look, N.K. Jemison writing the story, Jamal Campbell doing the inks. And so this is D.C., Direct Comics, as it was known. And so these are some of the books. And I should just mention a couple of, because I'm always looking for Black content produced by Black people. Uh, these are some books that some of the African centered community have, have done Protectors of the Native Order, their writing, Wanzo, these are African. African superheroes. At one point, Joe Quesada, Natives Protect Order. They, at one point, Joe Quesada at Marvel was going to launch a, a comic that never got launched, but you see these characters in Daredevil. He had an idea for something called the Santarians. He was gonna put Santeria superheroes together and name them for the Orisha of the Yoruba. Still looking for that at one point. Um, let me see if I can just do a couple more that I wanted to show you, just in terms of. I thought I, oh, yes, no, 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 that's not the one. Because I had some that I sent away to England for because this brother is doing a whole thing. Oh, yes, here we go. I keep them. I I even keep them in the same thing. The brother got them for me. Made in America. There's Malcolm, the FBI files of Malcolm X, right? Here's Malcolm when he went to Cairo, looking at the Sphinx You see the resemblance. There's Alex Haley, he's doing a whole series on how they chased Malcolm X and the Marcus Garvey factor made in America and then Hoover, I mean, but I love it. And then he's got these like Malcolm X buses, $6 or 50 pounds, free shipping, black belt comics. I'm saying, so comic books have their own world. And for me, the value in comics is it's, it's reading that allows us, I wanted to see if there was something. Oh yeah, I should probably show some more of these African comic books as well. Um, Quasi. Here's a collector's edition of Quasi. So, you got continental Africans are doing stuff, right? Collectors edition, Southern Africa coming out, black superheroes, Quasi. Uh, Dwayne McDuffie, as I mentioned before, they're the ones who had image comics, icon. Icon was very important. Also, got of course, uh, Steel. Remember, Shaquille O'Neal played Steel in the movie? Yes. Yes, there was a that was a black comic artist. Dwayne McDuffie and them did Steel. Steel came before the book came before the movie, Static. Is very important. Uh, this is a Michael Davis. Yes, 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 exactly right. Um, Juliana Smith, Jules Smith, Casey layman the writer, did a forward to this called half Procentric. <laughs> this is an interesting comic. Here go, here go all of them right here. If you can read for yourself, right? But comics for me are oh, mm, I keep looking at these. Oh, yeah, I should show you. I'm gonna show you. Let me show you these couple right here. Victor Laval is an interesting brother, science fiction writer. He's actually married to uh one of my sister's classmates from high school. Actually, we were all in school together. Carla Hall, myself, my brother Jeff, my sister Gussie, uh, James Bernard, who's one of the founding editors of the Source magazine, his younger sister, Emily Bernard, who's a top-rate scholar. She's a Yale. We all came out of Hillsborough High School in Nashville. And no, it wasn't no elite school, just the K-12 public school in Nashville that Nick Rose was going to, too. Uh, and, uh But her husband, Victor, has done a remix of the... Frankenstein story, except just like truth, they experiment on black people. So the restorer is in, but here's one I think everybody, should. did you see that movie, uh, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Slayer? Of
0: course. I read the book first. Did you? The book, the book was
1: way better than the movie. Karen. Yes. Everybody, this is one book I do not have and I must now get it because I love the movie. Why did you love the, the book? Tell me about wow. the book. <laughs> I grew up on Stephen King, so I didn't do comic books,
0: but I was doing all that horror. And shout out to Tannarive, Tanana, Tanana Dew, and and she introduced me to Octavia Butler, which I went oh, down a really? whole couple oh, years a great ago. Great sister, I love the, her. Yes. yes, oh my God, the, the Living Blood, My Soul to Keep, The Good House. I read every single one of her books. Amazing. And so you know, I'm, I read all of Harry Potter, all of Twilight, all of all of that. I have the Harry Potter. book gifts uh, box set right behind me uh yeah i'm into all of that not comic books but that's my jam so
1: we're right there together you know you sell yeah. those books at the same place comic books. so we would have seen you in the store you would have
0: uh, you would have seen me nudging kids out Harry potter first night midnight getting <laughs> get my book uh tripping the five-year-olds um <laughs> <laughs> but um that vampires and all of that otherworldly stuff and i think for a lot of people you know it's like oh that's weird or what have you but we are living in a supernatural space. And we have to be able to see, you know, all of the machinations, you know, through this living blood, through this everlasting life that we are, this journey that we're on. So to to, to see history, Abraham Lincoln, through a vampire's eyes, it was, it was an amazing book. And it was, you know, we're in it, you know, we're in it in, in spaces, of course, because of slavery, the backdrop is that. It was amazing. The movie sucked to me. You well, see, I didn't know the book. You're going to love the book
1: but the, I, i'm going i'm looking but you know you know why i like the movie wasn't abraham lincoln it's harry tell me. yes so how is she in the book you telling me i'm gonna love it read the book okay it well, the,
0: have, isn't people, okay. Saying, well, people like in here book? wondering about book clubs there have been people contacting me wanting to start book clubs around really? the books that we drop do it i mean this is the collective that i imagine that everybody picks up the baton, finds your passion. We're doing this because this is your passion. And I want people to see what that looks like when you have a burning desire to do things. And it's not just myopic. We're not just looking at history, but it's it makes us complete people to have these things that we love, love to do. So if you right. want to do a book club around, comic books, part of the in classic, run, do it, do please.
1: it every month please. and have fun. Please, we want you, please. Absolutely. In fact, we, we just scratched the surface. I wish, wish we had. Mm, I thought about brother Voodoo. Brother Voodoo was Doctor Strange's friend. That's a whole other thing. In fact, they've rebooted that now. He had a brother. It's a whole other conversation. But, but I'm glad you mentioned it. Now I'm going to get the book because, um, you know, when they made the Lincoln biopic on how they passed the Thirteenth Amendment, I'm like, look, I, you know, I know the history too well. I don't need to see Daniel Day Lewis, who's an incredible actor. I don't need to see Lincoln reanimated. But Abraham Lincoln, vampire slayer, like you said, it isn't historical, but the metaphors are there. It's white supremacist. Right. This is a white supremacist. These vampires, which is what y'all are, white nationalists, are trying to suck the blood of, you know. And so when Harriet Tubman comes in, rolling deep with the solution, I'm like, yo, this, I love the metaphor. And so I can't wait to read the book. And the reason I mentioned it came to mind, and I'm so glad it did, because now, again, y'all watching, y'all see. This is what literacy looks like. And that's why I, I meant to mention that. When he, before he made transition, my friend Kane Hope Felder, the great scholar of black religion, asked me to come over to Howard Divinity School one afternoon to talk about comic books. And so I put together this presentation on comic books and I'm talking, you know, me and Dr. Felder and I'm showing images. And you know, the School of Divinity at Howard, just like the International Theological Sem- uh, S- uh, Seminary in Atlanta, um, Payne out there, in Ohio, uh, near Wilberforce, you know, when they do things, it's it's black seminary, which means when people come to talks in the evenings, they often bring their children's family. So there were a lot of children there. And I remember as I was showing the images and we're talking, the adults are interested in looking, but the children are fired up. And it was fascinating to me because, and I'm talking about now, I'm talking about maybe as young as eight or nine, maybe as old as 14 or 15 it fascinated us to see how many of these parents didn't know this whole universe that was right under their nose because the children knew the books. And so as I'm saying, and of course, this happens and somebody said, oh, and I said, tell them, tell them, tell them, yeah, see, because in this one right here, and and the adults, what, you know that? Yeah, that's what those books are in your room. I'm saying comic books come into households and people, and sometimes parents think, oh, so-and-so. No, these are adult stories. Do you understand <laughs> all the relationships? You might think that you should know they come in in the combos, but but the reason I thought about Harriet Tubman, this
0: oh this is oh I love him. You know uh, not yeah, David, yes, yes. Oh, tell, me, tell, tell us about what? him. I don't know him. I just love his work. Oh, tell he, me, tell us. He's, ama- he's first of all, he's an amazing human being. Oh, uh, I love he, it. He was supposed to be working with um. Uh, who's the young lady that does the shy? And I can't remember her name. Golly. Oh uh, yeah, I know
1: you're talking about. Her,
0: you know her. Okay. Yeah, I mean, of course. So that she has a developmental deal, and they were gonna, and he crowdfunded that. They're gonna make this. So I don't know if it's gonna actually happen, but it should. And then I reached out to him, but I, I didn't have the resources to, you know, to greenlight anything. But I recognize that that is a powerful story. He's an amazing human being. He's got a beautiful smile, and uh, yeah. The that part
1: here is. is everything. Yes, we actually—that's probably a good way for us to close it, then, because that shows you. I'm so you know. First of all, the world is small. The black world is small, and to hear that from you, and to hear that about him and her, that's the encouragement. We, the, I mean, and again, to bring it all the way back to where we started, we paused today in part because we're in the middle of a real fight. But when you pause, it always reminds you. Of why we're fighting, what we're fighting for. We're fighting for a world where young people like that can create something like this and then put it on the screen so that your children can watch. That's why you go pull the ballot, not because you're treating uh, politicians like superheroes. No, you are their tools. I want my child to be able to walk in and get the same loan from her bank that you get at the same rate you get. And I don't want to have to come in here and tell a whole damn life story. I want my child to come in the same your child does, and somebody see her last name and don't start asking a whole bunch of questions. No, you that's what you use politics as a means to an end, and the end is creativity. So, yeah, oh man, I'm so happy to hear that, Karen. I, yeah, see, that gives me that gives me hope. No, nah, <laughs> Harry Kubman,
0: Demon Slayer, we're gonna have to make that into well, any, that's what she was. Morning, Saturday morning cartoon. I'm just putting it out, I'm speaking it so yeah, come on, y'all. See? Yeah
1: everybody, and she's gonna win. So, you
0: are ready. come on, come on. All right, so let me ask uh, some, some questions. Can I ask you some questions, people? Yeah. Uh, and let me thank Danica and Ahmad and, and uh, Kareem and Renee and all of the people that are uh, Yara helping us out. Um, are they
1: crowdsourcing? This? I'm telling you, Lance, oh my, Carter Woodson did that. If everybody, in fact, I told Lance, said we're gonna everybody put five on cash out, and I believe we're gonna have. 50,000 50, people do this. And I'm think, I'm looking at the number of people who watch us and multiple watch us. I'm saying, you know, this is how Institute Carter Woodson built the, the Association of Negro Life and History, published the Journal of Negro History. School children in the segregated schools will put the, put a nickel on it. And guess what that did? All them nickels came together and he published, oh man, I just got another one. In fact, I, I can't resist. I can't resist. I was so happy to get my hands on this This is the brother that wrote the history of Lincoln University. He is a professor of history, was a professor of history at Lincoln University, Jefferson City, Missouri, Sherman Savage. Uh, This is his book, The Controversy Over the Distribution of Abolition Literature, 1830 to 1960. See who published it? The Association for the Study of Negro Life and History. They published that. They published it in 1938. He dedicates it to his wife. This was his dissertation at Ohio State, the first black person to get a PhD in history from the Ohio State University, W. Sherman Savage. Why am I showing it to you? Because, well, number one, I just finally tracked my copy down. This is, a, this is another precious volume because I've been getting all my Sherman Savage stuff. I got his history of Lincoln University and I wanted to get this too. Woodson would publish the dissertations from the handful of black people who were getting PhDs in this country in the 1920s and 30s. And he was able to do it because, among other things, black school children in the segregated schools put their nickels on it and he had a publishing company that could publish. That's the importance of contributing. And as Woodson would always say, if we all do a little, nobody has to do a lot. And I'll end with this, just on that topic. Because when you said it it made me think about when you think, when you start thanking people who are are pitching in, the bottom line is this, it gives you two things. Number one, it enables the institutions to do what we're doing, for all of us to do that. And it gives you literally buy-in. For Woodson, it wasn't just that these kids sent me $3 that they had collected school-wide, a nickel and a dime at a time. It meant then, in particularly in Washington, DC, when the school children would come to the association or the neighborhood, guess what they are? Invest- investors. No question. investors. No question. It's mine. I, you know, I got some money in here on this. Let me see the books, Dr. Woodson. Well, you know what, I'd do better than that. I'll give you a job packing books. he was worked for Charles, uh, for, for G. Woodson one summer. Packing books. Working in, in other words, okay, this is what you do, and I'm paying you out of money that y'all gave me, which shows that this might come in. Well, we're gonna shut this down. You ain't shut nothing now. <laughs> you didn't give us no money, and we ain't come to you for no money. So, in other words, we free. So, anyway, I, I thought, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. And on that
0: note, let me thank everybody the super stickers, the cash app, and all of that. You no are question. literally uh, funding Dr. Carter's uh, Dr. Car Carter. <laughs> Your book habit, your book addiction. Oh, oh it's no question. And uh, it is my life's mission to make sure when this uh, pandemic is over that we start the uh, the Dr. Gray Carr Library in uh, Tennessee. Oh, Long- my God. Yeah. It, 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 whatever we do, it ain't
1: going to be named for me, Karen. We got to come up with a better name
0: than that. Oh, there's no better name than Dr. Gray Carr. I'm sorry. Mm, I'm sorry. All right. Jason Grady wants to know what comic story has touched or informed your thinking about reality? Oh,
1: um, you know, all right, let me think. Let me think quickly about that. Um, actually, let me just say a couple of very, very quickly. And I'm going to try to answer these quick so we can get as many as possible. We can take some time. Uh nehisi Coates, when Tanahasi did his intergalactic empire of, of Wakanda uh, kind of run the last couple of years, he made me rethink. In fact, Tanahasi explores this notion of what happens in Wakanda when people start being critical of the Wakandan government. And I thought it was good because he introduced uh this was a couple of years. So if you go into look at the trade paperbacks about two years back, I'd get up and go over here. I actually have one. Well anyway, I'm not gonna Don't do it. Yeah, I won't. I won't. Yeah. Because I'm that big on, you know, a lot of times if I see particularly elders, I'll ask them to sign my books because people, you know, yeah. So I got one at Tina I see signed last time I saw him with Paul. But I, I think it's over there on the shelf, but I don't know, I'll put those somewhere else. But the the the, the thesis in short is you know, we don't have perfect societies and black people are no exception. So Wakanda, we think of, you know, I heard here T.I. say, you know, uh, Atlanta is our Wakanda. It sure is. Metaphorically, why? Because all the class divisions, all the po- poverty, all the black people in charge of the politics and haven't done enough yet, it's all there. What ta does in that series that he's, doing, that he's done in Panther is reveal what happens when we talk about those tensions and he has the characters in conflict. You know, T'Challa is gone from Wakanda too much. You know, he's a little imperial about this stuff. What about the, the traditions? I mean, you know, there are some things I would have disagreement with, and I'm sure he would say, good, that's what you're supposed to do. So that that helps inform my thinking about the possibilities of uh, using creative tension and 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 exploring things that can't be resolved. And the other thing I say quickly at the end, and just in terms of one more example, I get two examples, that was one, Panther, um, you know, Reading comics from the time I was nine, 10 years old and looking at black characters in the white stream comics like Marvel and DC and then the independent black comics has helped me demystify the whiteness that we are all subject to. We're taught to worship whiteness in this society. But when you read the comic books, you see, cause see comic book writers and artists are often people who are thinking about a different kind of world. So in the comic world, when T'Challa, Black Panther shows up or Storm shows up, you know, Thor ain't supreme. Steve Rogers ain't supreme. And so from childhood, you begin to explore the idea that these white heroes are not always heroic. And these black heroes are every bit and sometimes more heroic than anybody else. And so we look at ourselves and we look at the world like, Equality is now my goal. My goal is for all of us to be human in the world. Because as Elijah Muhammad said, who are they to be equal to? And you learn that in the comics. (laughs) So that's one way. I love it. I love it.
0: This is not a question, but Holcombville uh, with Dr. Angel, O.J. Holcomb, said, Please tell Dr. Carr that my uncle is Christopher James Owsley Priest, the first Black comic book editor and writer.
1: Yes. Oh, you're talking about Priest. Yes. Well, wait a minute. Is this the Christopher Priest who, I wonder, who was uh, the first Black writer to take Black Panther? See, Black Panther has gone through stages. Black Panther did not have Black writers at the beginning. Remember Jack Kirby and Stan Lee create Black Panther in 1966, and they get shook by the Black Panther Party for a minute. They switch his name to the Cold Tiger. Now, the irony is the Cold Tiger was the nickname of Patrice Lumumba. They switch back to Black wow. Panther, yeah. It's crazy. Don McGregor, in fact, Don McGregor was the white dude who did Black Panther, and he was the one who did Jungle Action, and he's the one who blacks up Black Panther. This is the trade paperback Black Panther Panther's Quest. You see, Don McGregor on the uh, actually, no, Don McGregor is very interesting. Don McGregor takes Black Panther and has Black Panther, he goes to South Africa to rescue his stepmother, his stepmother, Ramonda, who T'Chaka, his father, marries after his mother dies, birth mother dies. That's who the stepmother, that's who Angela Bassett is playing in the movie. That backstory ain't been revealed yet. Again, I said, yeah. maybe they won't reveal it because you know com- the, com- the movie's really not based on the comics except loosely, but Christopher Priest is the one who revives Black Panther in the 1990s, he turns Black Panther into, that's as close as T'Challa has gotten to like Batman. In other words, he's very urban. Uh, And McGregor's Panther was a school teacher in Harlem. Priest Panther is lightweight, he's royalty, but he's also kind of thuggish. So he's liable to beat the snot out of some. I mean, Priest has this very, really gritty realist kind of Black Panther imagining, and Christopher Priest in many ways really reboots Black Panther, and I love Priest for that reason. And then, of course, Priest leaves, and that's when you see Hudlin come in later. Hudlin's Panther is the heroic Panther. Hudlin's Panther is the quote-unquote Afrocentric Panther. Hudlin's Panther is the one where the opening scene of the first issue of Hudlin's Black Panther, you see the white colonialists, like they came in South Africa and West Africa, they fighting the Zulu, they fighting the Ashanti in West Africa. They come into Wakanda, they're going to invade, and you see all these spears come up out of the sky, out of the ground, and then come down and kill a bunch of them. And the and the Wakandans is like, yeah, we know what you're doing around here, but uh white boys, don't y'all come up in here. We will kill every last one of y'all. In other words, so it was like, it's like, it's just right there in your face. It's really black and white. In fact, that's when Storm and T'Challa get married. And then Tanahasi takes it over in the reboot. And his is more of a an introspective, complicated, nuanced, uh human, I'm to say human let See, a lot of times we read comic books, and I said this in in uh, in the in the afterwards to uh, to Todd's book. We read comic books for black people to kick everybody ass and go home. We didn't want to see Luke Cage wondering about his mortality. You know, <laughs> that white man. <laughs> no, the the, the, the yes. comic books of the 1970s were like the movies of the 1970s. Yes. Come at our Afro with a gun, blast the white cop, and go home. Cross 110th Street, Yafet Kato. This ain't Mr. Big and James Bond, live or let die. Hell no. This is across 110th Street. This is Willie Hutch. You know this is the, In the comic book, same thing. Luke Cage? In fact, I hate that, uh is it uh Hodari uh, that did the Netflix piece with Mike Coulter. I hate right. that that is off the air. Because when I saw that Luke Cage, I said, this is the Luke Cage yeah. we grew up with. But but, yes. but But if that's the same Christopher Priest, Christopher Priest is yeah. a watershed Black figure in the history of kind of books. Very important. Now, wow,
0: okay. That's good to know. Well, is right in here watching you. Um, and somebody had a question about who profits, right? So... You know, you talk about Marvel and DC, you know, are we are we funding white white legacies and things like that? And you know, I talked about Harry Potter and the Twilight series. Yes. You know, all these, I mean, we both, you know, put money in, in pockets, but there's some there's an exchange. And for me, the hope, the hope is that I get sparked to to do my own thing when I read something that somebody else has done. It's inspiration. It's also, let me correct this. Let me, you know, I don't know if we can only put our dollars here. I think we should have a mind to definitely fund Black bookstores and Black authors and support over support. But I don't think we should eliminate all white, you know, white-facing
1: literature and and commentary. We can't. We can't. Even if we wanted to, we can't. But what, 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 what has been raised is extremely important. Let me say it like this. Um, During the time of uh, direct American apartheid, de jure and de facto, by law and by fact, we had no choice. That's why Woodson is publishing the Black Publisher, uh, Associated Publishers. The first histories of the AME Church, the African Methodist Episcopal Church, were published by Black Concerns. This is the new one, as I showed y'all last week, the history of the AME Church. The publisher is Cambridge University Press. I'm not happy about that. I'm going to tell you why but I can't stop it and wouldn't stop it at this point. See, the reason I'm wild is because when scholars, academics, because people write, they talk about publisher perish everybody's heard that, right? When you publish with the Cambridge University Press or a University Press, the people at the university, including the Negro colleges, sadly, will give that more credit than a black publisher. Now myself, me, I have, you know, I've, I've anchored my intellectual work primarily in teaching. I've written, not nearly as much if I had anchored my intellectual work in writing. And at this stage in my life now, I'm transitioning from that. In fact, thanks to you, and this this is part of the classroom, then we're we're developing this now, I can do it and I'm gonna do more writing. But when I do write, I have prioritized black presses. This is the first book written by black people on the Trump presidency. It's called Not Our President, New Directions from the Pushed Out and Others in the Clear Majority in trump Stolen America. Haki Maabuti, And Lozana Kazembe edited this book, and it was published, Third World Press. That is, of course, Chicago. When you look at who's in this book, you see a lot of people. It's not just white people. Bill Ayers is in the book. Jerry Ball, of course, is in the book. But you also see Elizabeth Warren is in the book. I'm in the book. A lot of different people are in the book. My point is this. And by the way, if y'all want to read about what's going to happen after next Tuesday, you should read this book, because this book isn't. Anchored in a, just a criticism of Trump and Trumpism and white nationalism, what this book is about, what the United States will look like after this thing goes away. Gerald Horne is in this book. In fact, um, but, but 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 I said to say this: when I put together, when I had to put together portfolios or whatever, university asked me for something, resume or whatever. I put I put this on here. They may look at this and say, "Oh, it's Third World Press. It's uh, it's not Academic Press." Do you really think? Is anyone drawing breath? past, present, or ever alive, don't think that I couldn't get something published with Cambridge University Press. When those of us who publish with black presses, publish with black presses, we make a choice. Now, the pathological mind thinks somehow, oh, this must not be as prestigious. No, what you've done is reinforced white supremacy. So finally, are we supporting Disney? Yes, which is why when Black Panther came out, one of the things I said was, of course I'm gonna see it. I've been watching Black Panther for years. And I'll probably, I'm going to see it in the theaters one time. And then I'm going to figure out who's selling it on the street. My man, on Steve, on 125th Street in Harlem, usually the week something come out, he got the crystal clear, joint. I'm going to support black business. I'm going <laughs> to leave it at that. But Disney understands that the ticket-buying audience in the world is majority overwhelmingly non-white. So don't think. That T'Challa shows up in uh, Captain America: Civil War because Disney all of a sudden got religion. They know how to count. So as uh, as my man uh, Ishmael Reed, who just did this, The Haunting of Lin Manuel Miranda, says about Hamilton, and this is the play that it that, that he wrote, he says, "Y'all looking at Hamilton?" Ishmael Reed said, "My partner, my wife thinks that Lin Manuel Miranda was probably more interested in show tunes. Now, if you want to see his stuff, go see In the Heights, because he's grounded that in." the Afro-Latino experience, right? I mean, you see that in the Heights, right? You see really what he's talking about. Hamilton, brilliant choreography. I mean, brilliant uh, book, you know, the songs, everything is incredible, right? You know, in fact, get the Hamilton mixtape, which is where you really see the vision that transcends these white slave masters that he's, but this is what Reed says. Reed says, you know what? I think maybe my wife thinks, you know, Hamilton was probably, I mean, uh, Manuel Miranda was probably more interested in the show tunes and the intellectual challenge. Disney, interested in the money. So however much money Lin-Manuel made, guess what? And as we talked about before, you know, the actors saying, pay me to scale, Disney made all the money. They made billions. And so therefore, when we support that enterprise, we should always be thinking about how do we begin to Control our intellectual product, our intellectual capital, and how do we then begin and continuously begin to support Black institutions so that these places are not the primary places because they're going to make profit off what sells and it'll get black as hell. HBO did not do Lovecraft as an act of charity; it did it because we're going to subscribe. And I should say one other thing: Holly Garima, the Ethiopian filmmaker who I love, he and his wife uh, Shrikiana those are my people who own Sankova Bookstore. When I go see Holly, Holly always says this. Holly and Sharikiana Grima are two of the most important filmmakers alive. The Grimas, uh, you know, Holly Grima's films and Shriek's films, their films, Sankofa, Bush Mama, Harvest 3000, Adwa, uh, their films. Some of the most important films of the 20th and 21st centuries. Holly uh, has been invited for years to be closer to Hollywood. Would you do stuff with us? Would you advise us? Perhaps even work on film? Holly won't do it because Holly's question is this. He said, I'll raise my money for my films. He says, but his his question is the question that was asked. Who controls it? He said, what happens when a structure is built to continue to profit off of your creativity except it's no longer cotton? Well, it still is cotton and indigo and sugar and corn. Now it's your ideas. So we're cheering, watching Lovecraft. Remember that that harvest is going into the pockets of a multi-billion dollar transnational corporation and the dream we should get being inspired from that is how to figure out how to jailbreak that and be the primary beneficiaries of our own harvest so no i don't have any disagreement with that i'm with you that's why i publish in Uh-oh. black publishers <laughs> am i stuck no oh you were for a minute she's coming back there she is
0: all right and on that no Yep, let's end it Uh with Paul Coates, who's in the comments. Oh! <laughs> Paul!
1: Paul hey, Coates is in the comments. Who printed he said, it, Wait. right? When you're yes. on your own printing press, you print the book. The book says Third World Press, but it was printed up the street in Baltimore. The legendary Paul, William Paul Coates. Represent, yes.
0: He just wanted to co-sign. He said, Greg is so right on this. ta first love, first book loves were comic books, as yes. was Dad's. As was his dad's. So
1: hey, listen, I, I, and I ain't I ain't giving nothing away. You had to talk to Paul one day, uh, Karen, because listening to Paul talk, put it this way, I won't even say no more. Paul, no, get Paul Tanahasi and um, Walter Mosley in the same room, mention comic books, and get out of the way. Cause see, I'm a baby, and it, get them, get get Paul in, cause apparently uh, Mosley has an extensive Comic book. <laughs> so see, Coats and, Mo- and mostly on comic books, and we would both be sitting there like, "Yeah, I got to take some more notes." I love it. Yes. Let me
0: just say, um, "I love you." Uh, love no matter you what happens on Tuesday, we're gonna be all right.
1: Oh, the sun coming up tomorrow. We came through enslavement. This is what? What's next?
0: What is next?
1: <laughs> What's next?
0: Next Saturday, I'll see you. Uh, it'll be probably a new president. And we're going to have to, get, to big, get busy doing work. That's when the real work starts. So real work. I, I want to thank you for this respite. Thank you for this pause. Thank you for sharing your love. And I want to thank everybody who was with us today. Uh, this is a labor of love. and It is our pleasure, all of you thanking us. I don't know what I would do without you on Saturday. So let me thank you again, Dr. Thank Carl. You
1: okay. thank, you, thank, thank you, Professor Hunter. And be safe, everybody. You be safe because you, I mean, listen, when these fools start storming out in the streets on Tuesday, just back up off it. Because they feel like their world is ending. And if we're talking about white nationalism, it is ending. Because we're going to break its back. But don't be in the streets trying to throw hands. Because you don't know who's going to come out on their side. A lot of them going to have badges on. So don't jump out in the middle of this. We're not going back to the 19th century. We're not going back to no bloodshed. Let's get through this safe. and, And protect those young people and protect those elders. And if you can't avoid it, When? Anyway, we're gonna start with (laughs) that.